Hello, everybody, and welcome to Weekly Manga Recap here on September the 20th of 2017. I am Nick, here with Chris. We're back together again. Finally. the podcast. Yes. After, I don't know, two days apart, we did yeah. a few and a half, so Two weeks on the regular show. I think, I, I think we're supposed to build up the tension for that sort of stuff, right? Like, we're supposed to say, like, we haven't seen each other in Aww. years. No, haven't even spoken to each other at all since then. Yeah, I know. That... Or I end it like, uh, cryptically, like, uh, I'm like, and that was the last time I ever saw Nick alive. Cause the next time I saw him, he was super alive. <laughs> He's just full of life. Uh, Nick, I, I have recognized uh, a very big flaw in myself. I okay. care far too much about other people. And that's not like a humble brag in the sense of like, oh, I just care too much. This is legitimately a problem at times. Mm-hmm. And I'll give you an example. Peanuts? This, well, yes, that's that's an element too, but that's a different story. See, <laughs> different I've known story. this about you for years, Chris. <laughs> well, let's just say I'm realizing more levels of it. So I work at a, a grocery store part-time. Mm-hmm. And it was late in the evening, and this uh, couple came up to me, nice couple, uh, probably a little bit older than I am, uh, and they asked where non-crisps were, uh, non, like the, the Indian bread, like a chip version of that. Oh, okay. And I was like, I know they exist, I don't remember 100% where it is, but I think it's one of these two locations, uh, they're both pretty close, you know, come along, we'll see if we can find it. Um, so we go over, can't find it there, unfortunately, and I'm like, alright, I think I know one other place it might be. But it's at the other end of the store. I don't want to drag you all the way there. So if you want to go up towards the registers, you know, and and wait there, um, you know, or check out whatever, I'm going to try the other end of the store at least and see if I can't find it there. Uh, and that's, you know, what they're doing. They're super nice about this. They're very friendly. Uh, so I go back. I, I go past the manager. I'm like, hey, do you know where non-Chris are? Uh, he thinks in his mind he reads this pita chip. So he sends me off to the lo- wrong location. Then I go back and he, you know, he realizes, ah, oh, I thought the wrong thing. And he tries to find it and he can't. So then we go find the store manager. The store manager's like, I know exactly where it is. He tells me where it is. But at this point, you know, time's passed. I'm like, I don't even know if they're still here. So before I go looking for that location, let me see if they're still there. And I see them as they're leaving. They've already checked out. And I, you know, I go up and I apologize. I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. I mean, you know, I didn't want you to think I abandoned you or anything. And again, they're super cool about this. They're like, yeah, yeah, that's great. No worries about it. You know, I tell them where I think it is and they're like, yeah, don't worry. We're, we'll get it next time we're here. No worries about it. And I'm like, all right. The entirety of my evening from then on was spent creating various scenarios where the fact that this couple did not get non-chips destroys their lives. Like, it started off small. It was the one thing that they had in their relationship left to look forward to. It's like, you know, like that song, Breakfast at Tiffany's, like, hey, uh, snacking on, <laughs> non, just, what it, about that? <laughs> and then it, they just get into a massive fight the night after because they don't have anything to snack on. <laughs> it started out on that level where I was just like, they're going to be sitting oh, so on. that's your starting point. Yes, that was the starting point where I was like, they're going to be sitting on the couch and be like watching Netflix and just like turn to each other and they're like, I'm really hungry. I really want some non-chips right now. And that that's already destructive enough to me. But then it escalates from there. Like, then they get home in this scenario, and the husband's like, why did you bother asking that guy? He didn't know. This is always what you do. You always turn to some other guy for the answer. And she's like, this is what you do. You're just like your father. And they break up in maybe, like, a, a horribly tragic way. Then it escalates from there, and it's like a serial killer comes into their house. He's like, I'm going to blow your husband's head off if you don't have some ethnic chip variety. And she's like, oh, we almost had those, not Chris. If only we had them. 
And there, he, he kills them, and only their infant child is left alive, but witnesses the horror of the event, and so he becomes non-shit man, <laughs> become his Joe Chill. He vows vengeance against the mysterious person who failed to get his parents non-Christmas. Yeah, he, he devotes his life to finding me, to bring me justice. And eventually, like, it ended on, like, the notion I was, like, they were being haunted by some, like, Freddy Krueger-like <laughs> horror figure, and, like, But they, they only had so much time to get the crisps, and well, so by the time you got back to them, they were like, no, no. It's okay. We'll get them next time. Yeah, like they they found they the, walked off to their doom. <laughs> they found the ancient tome that details the various ways to defeat Freddy Murderstein, and it's like he could be defeated with a bag of non-crisps, the same one he always desired in his life. And they're like, God damn it! We're never gonna make it to tomorrow. That fucker. Uh, the point is, Nick. I care way too much about it. it, it it's not to the point where I was like actively destroyed by it. But there was no, like, I recognize, like, I'm, I'm thinking on this too much. Let me think about anything else. Let me think about the Giants game tomorrow. Man, uh, I bet if they were watching the Giants game, they'd really want some non-Christy <laughs> while watching. Like, I, it couldn't stop. I was like, this is a problem. Especially after the performance they put on. <laughs> yeah, well, that's a depressing factor in its own right. But hey, <laughs> I just want to note, it's a real problem. And I really don't know if there's a, an end to that statement, I guess. It's just something I live with. Anyway, manga. Yeah. Enough of my immense guilt. Let's go on to talking about those silly Japanese cartoons. Uh, we'll say that we, uh, have settled on we're going to do Sadistic September next week, which makes sense as that is the last week of this year's September. <sighs> Preparing for this manga has destroyed me, Chris. Has it? Going down this pathway again. Revisiting those old memories I have of my formative years as a manga critic. Yeah. I was, uh, initially I, I thought you were quoting When September Ends, or, uh, or oh, what's Boulevard of Broken Dreams? Where you're no, just I have like... a different, I have, di- I have a different reference we're gonna, we're gonna make next week. Okay. Okay. Uh, by the way, are you using your Yeti this Gosh. week? Oh. There we go. I think, I think something just got uh, plucked. Fuck. Alright, so Nick is getting some stuff reset up on his headset there. And, uh, oh, we lost the, uh, call altogether. Okay. Nope, now it's coming back. I, I don't know what's happening. Skype, why you do this to me? There we go. Can you, can you hear this? Yes. Yes. Okay. Please don't do that. Alright. Sorry. <laughs> It's all good. I have to make sure that the microphone is working and it's not going through the headset. All right. We're reset. Good. Yep. That was not Skype's problem. That was me bumping my microphone cable and it popping out. Oh, so. let's please blame Skype. I, I need yeah. I need Fuck you, validation. Skype, yeah. for my own clumsiness. <laughs> Skype Skype gets off too easy, I feel like. Okay. Anyway, yes. Yeah, next week, Prince of Tennis. This week, regular recap. So we'll actually be able to spend the normal amount of time talking about series as opposed to next week when we're going to spend approximately three seconds on each of them. All right. Uh, we're going to start off with our usual deal with My Hero Academia. Uh, last week, Mirio lost his powers. Wasn't that pleasant? It was a pretty epic chapter. It was, uh, you mm. know, you got that whole, like, he held on for five minutes, two on one with no powers at all. And you're like, yeah. Pretty badass. Yeah. How do you follow up that chapter? You're like, you 
don't. <laughs> you slow it down. <laughs> well, quite literally. It's chapter number 153, Transform! Which, as I was reading through the chapter, I was like, there's no transforming in this at all. Oh, okay. You Maybe, saved it for the very end. It must be a metaphorical transformation. Right, like metaphorical a, transformation. A, a transformation of perceptions, perhaps. You know, we didn't realize sure, Rocklock sure. had a kid, and Sir, you know, Night Eye certainly has a new respect for Mirio. Must, these must be the transformations. It's a bit more... Oh, wait, no, hold on. There it is. <laughs> so... We see a little bit of uh, the backdrop for uh, Deku and company catching up with Mirio in this one. Uh, for example, them trying to interrogate Irinaka and him caving very quickly because he fucking hates the League of Villains. And so he immediately gives away that they're not really working together. Um, and also that uh, only Toga and Twice are there. No more of the members of the League because he's... Very specifically says, ah, where are those assholes are going to hunt down the, the rest of the league? You know, something along those lines. Um, they're still not really sure what to do from that point. After getting that information, the deck was confused. And Aizawa's like, we don't really know what to do here. Cause we didn't, we, you know, we only just found out about how deep their involvement with the league goes. And yeah, Rocklock is the one who actually steps up and says, Hey, you know, you guys just keep moving and leave the people, the two league members to the cops. You guys have to go accomplish what we actually came here to do. And so everyone's like, yeah, okay, that makes sense. And they start to head off, uh, after Rocklock gives one last big, uh, speech to them. Hey, you know, you know, for all the people who are, who got injured and are fighting in order to open up this opportunity for you, for, you know, the cops down below, for Ryukyu and the guys up, uh, up at the top, for Red Riot and Fatcom and Sun Eater and Lemillion. You guys got to push forward and not put all that to waste. It's a big inspirational speech, which is very unlike what we have come to know of this guy. Yes. Uh, but then we find out, as he thinks to himself, sitting there with his bandaged-up wounds, like... I'm not trying to be a jerk. <laughs> it just comes naturally to him. Uh, he says, I've got a wife four years younger than me, and we got our wish at the end of last year, a kid of our own, who got all of my genes. <laughs> yeah, I like how she says, he really takes after you, huh? Be like, no shit, he didn't look yeah. anything like you. <laughs> if I didn't he... watch you give birth to him, I would have assumed you just found him, like a clone of me somewhere. <laughs> He's even like making a, like the same kind of expression as his dad too already. I, I'm surprised he wasn't born with the fucking domino mask <laughs> imprinted onto his face already, and the stupid <laughs> like ro like lo padlock earrings. <laughs> Just pops out giving shit to all the UA students. Like, they shouldn't be working with real heroes. <laughs> Come on, get the hustle up. Um, but. Rocklock explains himself, saying, like, hey, whether or not they're part of the UA Academy, they're still kids, so I was worried about them. But give them room to shine, and every last one of them is more of a hero than us adults. So, oh, he acknowledged the students that he didn't really want to work with before. That's a cool little moment for a very minor character in uh, this arc, honestly. He re he's really only gotten, like... He's really only been involved in terms of, like, disabling one minor character and then getting taken out. So, uh, cool moment. Yeah, uh, it's it, it's interesting that 
I, I didn't, I'm, I'm glad we got something for him because he said he was kind of minor, but he was emphasized enough that you were like, there's going to be something to him. Like he was obviously this sort of, ant- like the antagonistic force of, you know, discussion throughout the process, you know, the way back from when they even decided to go after the uh, overhaul group. Mm-hmm. But there's part of me too that's just like, I, it doesn't feel like there was much leading up to this. It was almost kind of just like a point of like, eh, we get to give Rocklock something. It's just like, I mean, it works. It doesn't, like, it helps justify him a little bit more, but I don't know if it has 100% of the weight I would like from it. Probably because he's been too much in the background this whole time. There wasn't really a whole lot of, this is a thing that's going on, uh, emphasis. Yeah. Um... We also then do a little bit of catch up with Twice and Toga, who kind of sneak out of their hiding spot and start to make their way out of there. Uh, Twice says something really weird because he's like, all right, what do we do now, Toga? How about a kiss? What the fuck? (laughs) I guess that's supposed to be the the double nature thing going on. Like there's one side of him that's super serious and now there's one side of him that's just like (laughs) dramatically (laughs) fucking with the tension. I guess. He's a weirdo, I guess. I think he also has a lot of, like, admiration right now for Toga. Probably. Based on, like, how she, like, helped make it so he wouldn't split apart after his mask got partially blown off. Like, you know, he probably has maybe even, like, just grown a crush for her, essentially. Um, so Toga is kind of torn what to do at this point, because she's like, I really want to see that he's a good kid all beaten up again. But at the same time, I really want to see Overhaul suffer. Um, and so twi- Twice says to her, well, I have no idea how we're going to make that happen. So here's my plan. Listen up. <laughs> um, and he whispers something to her, and she gets really excited by it. And she says, that's sure to make Tamura happy. But we cut away from them before any other details come out. Uh, Deku and company burst through the wall rush in to help out Mirio. Uh, Deku immediately punches the fuck out of uh, Overhaul's arm and sends him flying. Uh, and, uh, you know, Aizawa is like, okay, yeah, night I go grab the girl. And Mirio is still on his feet looking, of course, horribly beat up. And everyone kind of, night I kind of instantly observes what, what's happening. He's like, wow, there's all these defeated Yakuza here. Chisaki looks beat up. The space is sealed in by warp walls. You, you are still standing. You came so far all on your own. And with assistance finally there, Nidai rushes over to Eri and Mirio. Mirio collapses into him, and Nidai just says, good job. That's a great over- moment for this chapter, by the way. I, I really do like uh, Nidai. Even though I'm not a huge Nidai fan, I like Nidai getting this moment to just kind of really emphasize how much appreciation he has and respect he has for, for Mirio. They're just like, you know, giving up that, that, that embrace and good job. At the same time, he's hugging Aerie too, you know, just showing what he went so far to protect. It's a really cool scene. Five minutes after the fight's over, he's like, what, you lost your powers? Well, you're fired. Yeah, he's like, you know, I don't like dead weight in my company. But hey, you know what? I'm going to love the dark comedy of firing you right after you lost everything. <laughs> Um, Overhaul realizes this quirk has been erased because, of course, Eraserhead is there. 
Deku is really get, is really boiling up at, at this point because he's like, we're going to make him pay for this. Uh, but Overhaul calls out to Chrono, that guy in the hoodie who got taken out basically as soon as Mirio jumped towards them. And we finally get to see his quirk in action as this giant minute hand comes bursting out of his hood and uh, catches uh, Aizawa in the arm. He manages to knock Deku out of the way by, by realizing at the last second what was going to happen. And uh, Chrono says, you know, those stabbed by the big hand have to slow down. And uh, this is really bad because Aizawa is right in the middle of blinking and he can only stop uh, Overhaul's powers while he is maintaining eye contact with him. So as his eye closes and then he has to very slowly open it back up, Overhaul is free to do as he wishes, basically. There's also a brief little explanation that Overhaul is like, oh, I repaired all the damage to his head by using my restorative powers of my quirk. Um, which is kind of unnecessary, honestly. It's like, you could have, you could have just said that he came to eventually because there's only so long you're gonna be knocked out from a kick to the head. But it's cool that they show that Overhaul is a really strategic combatant in, in this sense. And there's more showing off of how his powers work. Right before the biggest demonstration of how his powers can work. Uh, Overhaul, of course, starts sending up spikes from the ground like he did when he was fighting Mirio. And he starts to really lose it. He's, he's just saying, I'm not going to have my plan reduced to nothing. I'm not going to be defeated here. And uh, as Nimoto goes flying through the air, flung through the, through the air by his powers, he's like, yeah, you hear that, Nimoto? You'd be really unhappy if I were to be defeated here. But you know what? I know you're willing to die for me, right? And he puts a hand on his mask and then puts a hand on his own face. And there's just an explosion of blood. And <laughs> Deku explains very quickly, he destroyed himself and his henchmen and they fused together. And oh boy, did they. Uh, so some interesting elements of his transformation. Uh, one, I guess he took the power then to know when people are lying. As like, does he take the quirk of him? Because if that not, was the thing, is I, I, that was the thing. Is I was uh, looking at that, and uh, I, uh, I was thinking, well, at least it's not an especially great quirk that he would ha- gain from this. <laughs> I wonder. I was like, does he get the quirk, or does he just get the body? Because I'm like, I don't know if getting two extra hands is, you know, that awesome to like essentially murder two consciousnesses. I don't, I don't know if he's even supposed to still be fully, like, overhaul the same way. I don't I don't know. Uh, but it all kind of is uh, distracted for the fact that uh, somehow this fusion actually made the fucking plague mask his mouth because it is ripping open. It's like a scarecrow kind of thing where he's got, like, the, the you know, the some of the ties barely holding it together, but you're just like, that's awesome and terrifying. Holy shit. That's what, what, how, why, that's awful. Why are you doing this? This is so weird. It's terrifying. Honestly, it is what makes this moment is just how terrifying and hideous the fused form looks with the multiple arms and the clawed hands. It also, it actually looks like he, in addition to merging, uh, with his henchmen that he has fused with some of the rock that he and debris that he sent up. 
because of the uh, way that his hands look. Very possible. Um, I, I, I like that. The, you know what this chapter was 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 doing. Essentially, it's a you know mixture of small moments that lead into this sort of conclusion. Um, and I liked all those moments, more or less. You know, I like that Chrono is like he did participate in things. We got to see his work, <laughs> and I I think it's a cool way of doing like the time control power, where like mm-hmm. a literal arrow shoots out of him, and if it hits you, you slow down. I thought that was a really cool, fun touch. Um, you know, I, I love the scene with Night Eye. And uh, this overhaul scene at the end's kind of cool. I, I'm still like on the fence because I, I need to see, I guess, what he does. I guess having more hands would mean he has more ability to use overhaul the power. He can manipulate more things. Yeah, or like have two hands destroying while two hands, you know, build things back up or something like that. Um, so it could be very cool there. Uh, obviously, it's it's really hard to like match that level of, you know, crazy shonen epicness that was last chapter, but uh, I think this chapter's still doing good at, you know, keeping that tension there, uh, since now we at least have a new threat for us to wonder if Deku can overcome. Oh, yeah, it was just pointed out that you can actually see Nomoto's mask on his hand, uh, the lower left corner of the page. Mm-hmm. So, Lovely. Yeah, he's dead as shit. <laughs> okay, so, uh, interesting chapter. It was more just kind of a collection of moments than like a solid chapter all the way through, though, I feel like. Uh, but we'll move on to Food Wars, Shokugeki no Soma, chapter 231, full throttled teamwork, with the return of male nudity. Hooray! There's a lot of male nudity this week in Jump as well. <laughs> we'll get to that. Uh, <laughs> um, I don't know if some of these musky, mus, muscle patterns are actually physically possible, Chris. <laughs> they are certainly not. Uh, I will assure you to that. Uh, this is very much uh, an overblown level of, of muscles, but this, uh, you know... This is, we, we've seen this from Dojima. He, he, he was established that men in this world, when they are in shape, they are astronomically in shape. Megashima's shoulders don't look like real. He looks like, a, like some sort of ogre that you would fight in a, in a video game or something. Oh yeah, I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure I fought that exact thing in uh, Shadow of Mordor at some point. And he made that exact pose. Yeah. I was, was crazy about it. <laughs> it's pretty terrifying. He but also copied times. all my moves. Uh, okay. So, getting away from those three guys, we have the, a little bit of a recap of, okay, yeah, this is what is gonna happen with the three cards of the third round. We get confirmation that Soma is, and, uh, Soma are the ones who have to use butter. Interesting. Um, and, uh, before anything actually starts up, Takumi and Soma and Megumi do a little group huddle, and uh, they trade ideas with each other, and and uh, you know like okay, you're gonna want to do this, yeah, and uh, you're wanna, you're gonna want to do this, and uh, Megumi's like I can help you with that, just exchanging really quick notes from each other, and then they break and go off in their own directions to start to start up uh, cooking. And everyone's like, wait a minute, they're working together? It's like, 
Yes. Yes, they are. It's Team Shokugeki. It's, it's what they're supposed to do. <laughs> what? But more than the crowd's reaction of like, wait a minute, don't tell me they're working together like a Team Shokugeki allows you to do, but is that Arena is so proud of herself for this lineup, taking all the credit for the three of them going out there. He's like, yes, I chose those three chefs in the third bout because of their ability to work together because they've been doing team training together and they know each other really well. And then she's like, yes, go show everyone how perfect my decision making is. Do it. I mean, it is worth noting that at least she there was, like, a logic to this beyond, like, we'll send in all the first years or something like that. Like, it's like, you know, you could have thrown into Shiki, but the idea being that these three have more of a bond than necessarily Shiki is. Mm-hmm. Although I would argue Shiki probably has more, more of a bond with Soma and uh, Megami than Aldini does, but that's not true. his rival! <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. You're, you show up every now and then, I guess. <laughs> oh, good. Um... Yeah, so they kind of give each other a little bit of uh pep talk, and they're also saying, like, yeah, and we've also been through the same training together. Somewhere refers to he and Takumi as sibling disciples, and Takumi's like, what are you talking about? It's like, yeah, we're siblings, so we can sync up now. Like, <laughs> and Megumi says, we can win this with teamwork and guts. And Takumi's like, oh, great, you're still in that shoujo sports phase. Okay, great. <laughs> So apparently now Takumi is the only normal one, I guess. <laughs> that seemed like the right place for him. <laughs> I also like as they're observing Arina that uh, Kurukiba says, hey, you know, I think I think that she's kind of acting a bit more like you, Miss Alice. And Alice is like, what are you talking about? Oh, <laughs> no, I'm so totally not like that. Oh, <laughs> gag with uh, a no spoon. <laughs> um, let's see here. We, of course, get a little bit of Azon pouting, uh, because it's like, I don't like these pairings. I wanted to get my revenge on Soma. Um, we get a recap of how they decided the matchups the previous day, um, or a flashback to when they did, they did that rather. And, uh, Soma, you know, flat out says like, Oh, I guess that, uh, I guess that I'm going to have to be the one who does it because I'm assuming that you guys are going to be able to do it. And Sukasa's right away like, yeah, we'll we'll have to sit this out. And Rindo's like, don't tell me what I, what I can and can't do. I'm mean, just a oh, tired. This immediately goes into her little cold huddle. Yeah. I kind of wish that because you just kind of immediately see her like all energetic in one, and then and then in the next she's slumped over. I kind of would have liked to see like a little bit of a transition, you know, the with her of her slumping over. I don't know. That's a little bit of uh, comedic effect desired. But uh, interestingly enough, uh, as they were discussing who was going to be facing off against two, Megami actually uh, offered to take on Momo, uh, Akanagakubo. That's a weird fucking name. And uh, so Takumi immediately points out, hey, She's the third seat on the new council. She's the strongest of these three. Are you sure you want to be doing that? And there's a determined look in Megami's eyes. So they say, okay, yeah. And uh, Takumi says, all right, then I'll, t- I'll take on Azon. Uh, it will be a good opportunity for me to repay him for certain things. And Azon's like, but I want to take on Yukihira! <laughs> but that's about it. 
Um, everyone starts cooking. Momo kind of does a little bit of a sideways remark to Soma that, hey, you know, if all three of you guys lose, there's only going to be two of you left, and you're going to be in really big trouble when that happens. And Soma says, well, you're in the same situation, too, and then you would be stuck with two guys who are still fatigued. So, there. And it's equated to chess by Ishiki, which I guess is a little bit of a callback because uh, I think when they were first talking about the team show, Kageki Azami used a chess metaphor for it. And uh, But Soma just says to Moa, hey, you shouldn't take us first years too lightly. They do this, you know, little po- little pose with the three of them, uh, with their backs facing the council members, and someone's looking over his shoulder, his impossibly long bandana flowing behind him like majestic hair. And then we get a bit more of a flashback from Megami's perspective of her training with Ishiki, where Ishiki said, hey, you know, you got to figure out what kind of dish you're going to be making. Like, ahead of time, you should be doing image training. Just have an idea in mind of what you want to, uh, what kind of dish you would want to make. And Megami says, well, you know, vegetables are good, and why do it? And he says, okay, well, we should make the most out of that skill, but what kind of dish would you make if the theme ingredient is not a vegetable? And Megami's like, well, I'm kind of good at this. I don't know. And Ashiki's like, ah, come on, you can't have such... You country bumpkins in your narrow world views, when will you learn? And apparently, across the fucking country, uh, <laughs> his uh, side chests are like, Ah, I just had this feeling like I should, we should be saying, saying he's a huge-ass hypocrite for that. I have no idea why. They're not even there. They're just in, like, a different kitchen somewhere. Uh, it's kind of interesting what's noted here. That they're like, okay, so your specialty is vegetables. What do you do if you don't get a vegetable? And she's like, oh, well, I, you know, I grew up near the harbor, so I think I could do seafood. But if it's some kind of meat, I'd be fucked. It's like, that seems like a small note to put out there, but one that's pretty relevant. I mean, one person, like, literally the the matchup before them is beef. Like, it does seem like it's a very glaring weakness. Now, granted... Maybe that's why she chose to challenge the third seat, because I guess if a meat thing came up, then a pastry chef would be at an equally big disadvantage to that. But it does seem like an important note of like, oh, hey, Megami doesn't know how to cook meats at all. So it's kind of curious to see if that ever actually comes up in another element. They also do a little joke because uh, it's his sous chef in his restaurant or one of his sous chefs. I forget what her exact position is. And also Hinako, who is like his old classmate. So the same, the same thing is being said by two people in two different locations. <laughs> Just anyway, what she and me explains is, or what you want to do is you want to get the most out of your skills with vegetables. So you need an image of what that would actually entail. You have to just have an idea of how to apply that skill to other ingredients and how you do that. Well, that's what I'm going to teach you right now. So, but it's an interesting note, like, Hey, you've got this kind of narrow specialty. We need to have a way for you to apply it to everything else. So, and then we get a confrontation between Takumi and Azon, and Takumi's like, hey, remember that thing that happened in, like, Chapter 90 or something like that? Yeah, I'm going to pay you back for that now. Is that 
the fucking stupid cutting board thing? Yes. Uh, Azon basically hired Mimasaka to target Kumi so that it would rile up Soma into putting his career on the line so that uh, he could hopefully have Mimasaka get Soma expelled from the school. Gotcha. Um, so, yeah, Takumi says, hey, I just wanted to say thank you for what you did during the Fall Classic. Uh, Soma and Soma both declare right away what they're going to do with their butter ingredients theme dish. Uh, Soma says, I'm going to make a sashimi rice bowl. And Soma says, oh, I think I'm going to be making a rice dish from uh, that's kind of part of my family restaurant's menu. And uh, this is embodied by an image of the two of them having an old school samurai showdown as the chapter ends. It's a cool little visual, though. I, I mean, look, I'm looking forward to all the awesome visuals we're going to get of, like, samurai imagery during their competition. I so hope we get the, the samurai, like, strike each other simultaneously. Yeah. One dude goes down, and then the other one falls, like, a chapter later or some shit like that. They're like, oh! Yeah. Uh, I will admit, though, I'm getting worried, Nick. Mm. I'm really starting to worry that Megumi's going to be the sacrificial lamb in this this these matchups. Because as I look more and more at this, Momo's the only person on that team who hasn't had a match to this point. Mm-hmm. So they have more direction and flexibility to go with her. Right. Whereas, you know, Azon, we've already seen this guy fight a couple times, and Sato had a match last time. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very possible that maybe all three of them win, and then mm-hmm. the finals is basically just Sukasa and Rindo systematically trying to survive. <laughs> Uh, you know, and taking people out, we know how good they are, so it's not improbable, but there's a part of me that's really worried that, uh, Megumi might get, uh, like, so close, but, you know, not enough in this. We'll have to see. Um, it's gonna be interesting to see how this all shakes out. Um, but I do get your point, and, you know, maybe that is actually the strategy that Megumi had in mind, was just to continue the stamina strategy, um, but who knows? Yeah. I do get to, get to definitely get the feeling. I mean, I get, to, I definitely get your points because yeah, we, we've seen Azon and we've seen Soma in action before, but we've never seen Momo actually finish a dish. We just kind of saw like a flash of her, uh, yeah. in the, uh, the purge. But, you know, keep in mind, like, Kinokuni only had that one Shokugeki and she lost right away. So. Yeah. I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of these three. Is that a reason to have her? I don't know. We shall see. I'm just worried. I'm starting to worry. Okay. Then we are going to head over to, uh, actually, we got to do, uh, Astro Lost in Space this week. Yep. So, um, it's chapter 40. Uh, last chapter ended with a mysterious midnight rendezvous between Ares and, uh, and, uh, uh Kanata. Which we don't see followed up on at all in this chapter. In the slightest. Hmm. Okay. I wonder why. Hmm. Maybe they actually did have sex. <laughs> um, but anyway, they arrive on the last planet before Astra and their journey, Galem. Uh, and, uh, now there's just a little bit of reflection between them. Uh, 
uh, Kitari says, like, I'm actually kind of sad to, to see this is, you know, like kind of the end of our journey at this point. And everyone says, we actually did have some really good experiences, even though we encountered a lot of danger and saw a lot of strange things along the way. Uh, and Arius kind of wraps up their reflection by saying, hey, and in the end, I accomplished my goal, which was to become friends with everyone in the group. And it was like, oh, you're the traitor. <laughs> <laughs> They're going to fuck us. Um, they land on the planet and, you know, they head out with their, with their suits on, start to get ready to gather things up in order to bring them back a lot. The, the thing that they notice right away is that there is a lot of glowy things all over the planet. There are, as Charts puts it, a large number of bioluminescent species on this planet. So they're surrounded by all sorts of glowing plants and creatures. There are what look like crystals growing from plants. Uh, it's a, it's a cool thing, and especially because as much as we've seen some weird worlds, uh, that they've encountered on their journey, not a whole lot of them have been especially exotic looking at first glance. It's been like the ideas are, are weird, like, you know, the living plants on the previous planet and stuff like that, or the world made of made of, that was almost entirely water. So everyone starts to split up, go their directions in order to uh, get stuff right after they uh, make sure that the atmosphere is safe enough to breathe so that they can take their helmets off. Uh, Ares and Kanata go off in order to grab stuff. Uh, they also actually briefly note that um, they've got a whole bunch more of the uh, edibility testers. So... Uh, they can each go off in different directions in order to gather more food. Also, Paulina's with them. You can tell because she's got the dumpier-looking uh, yeah. suit. She doesn't have that sexy suit. She's got, like, the fucking dumpy <laughs> old regular astronaut one. Uh, da, 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 the practical uh, suit, I guess. Perumph. So, Kanata and Ares have a little go off together. They, you know, he, Kanata grabs like a, a frog-like creature, uh, and, and after a bit, they're like, "Hey, we're gonna do it. We're gonna actually get home. We're gonna go home to Astra." And uh, Ares says, "Yeah, I wonder, wonder what we're gonna actually do when we when we get back. What kind of lives we're gonna have?" And Kanata theorizes about it for a little bit, but hey, you know, he says, "We're we're capable of surviving all on our own, even without the without the help of other people. We've journeyed to the edge of space, visited multiple planets, and after all that." Nothing seems that scary anymore. And Ares says, yeah, and I think our journey has made me a little stronger, and it's all thanks to you, Kanata. And you see her from his perspective for a moment, and she looks kind of, she's going to be like cast in shadow, and you can tell that he's looking at her in a different way. And uh, so he kind of hesitates for a second. He's like, hey, so when we get to Astra, I'll like walk you back home you know because like you know just want it, you're not done at camp until you're actually at your front door and he's like oh yeah thanks yeah yeah it's like oh you dumb hormonal hormonal teenagers you oh, fuck i like how aries says right away it's like oh i'd really appreciate that and you can meet my mom <laughs> you're like <"Got>, thanks <laughs> From there, they split off and go uh, their separate ways in order to gather more stuff. Um, and 
there's a really weird little exchange that they have right before they part ways, which is uh, Kana says, Ares, you go meet up with everyone. They're in the forest. And Ares says, right, I'll go heat up everyone because they're in for rest. Okay. <laughs> what? <laughs> and it, anyway. I, I don't know. Left on his own, Kanata uh, is just thinking to himself, and he's like, hey, it looks like we're going to make it back home, but there's still the fact that there's that killer among the crew, we still think. But he says, eh, I've got to stop thinking about it that way, because because he just tells himself, no, 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 there wasn't any killer among us in the first place. We've been through too much, we're closer than just friends now, and even if there was a killer, I think they feel the bonds between us are too special to break anymore. Oh, you idealistic fucker. Um, but, you know, he just kind of puts his own fears to rest uh, in, in his mind and thinking to himself, if there ever was a killer, we don't have to worry about that anymore. We've grown too close and we're too and they haven't tried to get after us in a long time. So they must have stopped trying to do it and stopped trying to sabotage us. But at that moment, there is this tremendous glow from behind him, which casts a long shadow. And he looks behind him and there's a fucking wormhole right there. And the wormhole starts chasing him. <laughs> this isn't just like the one that sucked them off away from, uh, into space the first time. This one chases him into a cave. <laughs> I, <laughs> is it alive? <laughs> wow, that is the interesting thing, because he uh, implies right afterwards that this is also a direct sort of attack from the killer. Yeah. So, so perhaps it can be directed. Maybe it doesn't have its own sentience, but it can be driven, you know. Maybe it can be called and controlled by some sort of device. Uh, but he manages to get away with his super athletic skills, uh, ducks into a cave, and he's immediately like, was this a mistake? Because I have less room to run now. But he manages to seemingly uh, get away from it because he catches up with Ares, uh, spots her in the cave, and she's like, what's wrong? Why are you running? And, he, and he's like, ah, it's, it's, it's. He looks over his shoulder and the sphere is gone now. There's no more wormhole behind him. He's like, it's gone. And he says, how did you get here? And she says, oh, the cave leads out to the forest. So you must have come in from the other end of it. So let's go back to the ship. Or Kanata says, ah, oh, let's get back to the ship. And uh, Kanata is immediately like, I was wrong. There is a killer. And they mean to wipe us out here on this planet. Then with the rest of us. Dead. They'll take the ship and go home alone. And if that's the case, they'll probably try to avoid damaging it, which means the ship is safe. That's fairly sound logic. Um, so hopefully he's right. And the wormhole just just he's just like in the middle of the night here. <laughs> it goes to the door, and the wormhole's right there. <laughs> Who is it? <laughs> housekeeping. It's like I don't well. remember housekeeping. Open candy the, Graham. Okay. Open the door. Yeah, candy Graham. You're one of those wormholes, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, you got me. Well, I'm just gonna break this door down. Like, oh. Dun 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 dun. Ah, uh, classic SNL. Um. Time passes. Everyone's gathered up food. They're eating together in the dining hall, and I was like, yeah, yeah. And I was like, there is a killer. And I knew who they are. But they don't know that I've caught on. It's time. Tomorrow I'll expose them. 
and take them down. Dun, dun, dun. Dramatic verb. Quite an unexpected uh, a reappearance by the wormhole in this chapter, especially considering that they seem to imply that they were left in certain places. Um, not that they could just pop out of nowhere. It would be awesome if, like, he's, like, walking through the forest next week, and, or next chapter, and, like, he turns, and it's clearly the wormhole, but it's just holding a bunch of leaves, just being like, I'm a tree. They're holding I'm up a sign. A tree. The sign that says, I am a tree, move along. <laughs> yeah, it just, like, has, like, like, he's holding bananas, just like, hey, why don't you come by and grab some of these delicious bananas? Because I'm just an innocent tree. Talking tree. Those things exist on this planet. Space is weird. <laughs> uh, I'm, just... oh, man. Yeah, so it's Ares. I, I'm 100% certain on that. We've been saying that for a few months now by this point. That I, probably, so. When we first had the, the notion of a, a killer trader on board, my immediate thought was to Ares, but this chapter really feels like it's it's nailing that home. Um, I mean, it, it could be a very big red herring, especially given how goddamn suspicious it's like, oh, I just escaped from the wormhole, and Ares, you're here. How did you get here? You, it only showed up after we separated. That seems a little bit too obvious in some ways. I think it's. I think it only feels obvious, though, because we're trying to deduce it. Because if you notice, there's no moment where Kanata says, like, why was she in this cave? Like, it, the attention yes. isn't drawn to Kanata's thoughts on that. He just says that she has an immediate response. They continue from there. Uh, I mean, it turns out to be Funi. <laughs> I'm like, well, you go, girl. All right, it's Bravo. You you kill the shit out of your clone sister. Oh boy. All right. So we gotta close that. What's next? Uh, getting stoned? Is that it? Yeah, well, it's it's Dr. Stone. Yeah, it's Dr. Stone time. But yeah. it's time to get stoned! Last time, uh, Gen's uh, allegiances were solidified. He went off to report to Tsukasa and lied the fuck to him, uh, saying that Senku was definitely dead. This being after he had seemingly been murdered. But, in fact, it just kind of broke open a fake blood uh, pack. This uh, leaves us where we pick off in Z equals 27, A Certain Scientist's Wish, where so, we see Suika. I, I want to interrupt here real quick, Nick, because I need you to energize. Obviously, you weren't here last week, and I need you to weigh in. Am I incredibly stupid for not making, I guess, what everyone considers the logical assumption that Senku didn't make the cola? That it was just a conceptual thing at the end of chapter it's last a, week? It's something that he's promised he'll make for Gen eventually. Everyone acts like I'm the biggest idiot on the planet for thinking that he had made the soda at the end of the chapter. And be like, ah, oh, I wish they had actually shown us how he made it or something like that. Did they also give you shit for not knowing that the killer was uh, Magma? Uh... No, they didn't as much. Okay. I don't, I guess it's one of those things where, you know, it's just the kind of like the bubble fruit thing where you just kind of read something a different way as opposed to not guessing what an actual sort of mystery is. And I'm not just saying that the bubble fruit just because that's the one you got wrong because <laughs> we're both guilty of it. So, 
Chris, the three of them are representations of Toriko's id, ego, and super ego. That is a great one to look back it's on. Amazing it over was, it, was, it was so detailed and everything. It is like, no, they're just like, I don't even think one of them. It's the I, villains, Nick. One of them was just like a monster. I don't even think it was supposed to be like a person. That's right? the ego with base desires. It was like you had just gotten out of like your psychology class and read that chapter. Guys. And you were like, I'm reading so, guys, I am in love now oh man that's right the cola was senku's ego the the killer was his super ego and suikas is it uh so all right uh we see suika rolling in uh to say suika found out something uh, saying that, ah, Suika knows who tried to murder Gin Asagiri. It was. And of course, we immediately cut over to Magma being, ah, shit. Uh, Magma being like, aha, the meddling sorcerer is dead. Yes. No more interference. Ha ha ha. And it turns out over the course of the chapter that he's basically just the biggest asshole. <laughs> he's, he's Gaston, basically. He's, he, he really is. <laughs> like, if you look at him, he's, he's Dr. Stone's Gaston. Just, like, far less entertaining, honestly. He even has his little fucking, like, uh, hype man over in the side he there, does, too. He does have his own LeFou. Yeah. Just a very ugly LeFou with a shitty mustache. <laughs> oh, man. I didn't, like, how do you even, like, style your hair like that in the Stone Age? He's gonna do and, you know, Magma, Mag, Magaston is immediately like, oh, before the great and mighty Magma, even that sorcerer crumpled it like a helpless baby. And, uh, you know, he's like, eh, it would have been better to just kill Kohaku or something. He's just like, you know, casually talking about murder. <laughs> <laughs> What a du- what a du- what a guy! <laughs> I, I, you know, I'll be honest. I, I'm like kind of glossing over everything he says because I just keep looking at like the giant leg of meat he's holding. And I'm just like, God, I fucking really want a giant leg of meat. Of I don't, it could be human meat revealed at the end. I don't even care. I'm just really hungry for like a fucking meat on a bone. What was that thing that they said like um, about the giant chicken leg? That you could get like a chicken leg that was the size of a turkey leg. I forget what restaurant it was that was doing this. And then, but like some spokesman was inter- uh, spokesperson was interviewed about it. And they were asked like, "Are chicken legs normally that big?" And he was immediately like, "No, they're not." <laughs> like he was like he was saying he's like, like <laughs> but it was like naturally crime no, in science and nature. <laughs> naturally, they would never be that large. So they- how do they? Oh, what's the better answer? It's not chicken meat. No. Uh, we fucked with the chickens to make them that way? No. It's an illusion. It's not actually that big. Got it. Got it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he just, like, said all this in front of the interviewer. <laughs> He's like, I can't wait for my bonus. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Um... Yeah, so Magma's just casually talking about murder and how proud he is to have done it, and he's like, oh, it would have been better to just kill that Kohaku girl herself, but she's just got zero openings, and his LeFou guy is like, yeah, she's freakishly strong for a woman. Her power must come from sorcery, no doubt. And I love the little exchange that happens between Kohaku and Chrome. They interject this in the middle of Suika's story, because Kohaku's like, no, I'm a normal woman, and Chrome's just like, no, I'm a normal gorilla. 
I was kind of disappointed, though, that it didn't cut to her, you know, intimidating him. Like, <laughs> like hur- hurling him off a cliff or something like that. He's <laughs> just like, oh, I regret nothing. Um, yeah, and Magma's like, yes, I'm sure without any magical help from her sorcerer friend, she would just be another defenseless girl. Maybe if she gets on her knees and begs, I'll let her join her sister become one of my women. I'm not sure if this guy is Gaston or if he's Vince McMahon from the late 90s. <laughs> like, get on your knees and bark like a dog. Ooh, man, there are so many awful moments like that. I just recently, uh, I forget why. Oh, cause I, I was trying to show a fan, uh, a friend of mine, the, uh, quote unquote gay wedding between Billy and Chuck. And because of that, my YouTube <laughs> recommendations pulled up the, the scene where Eric Bischoff confronts a bunch of like, feminists in the ring and just degrades them it's so bad i'm assuming at the i'm assuming at the end he was like you could you should try to carry on with your movement whether it lasts three years three months or three minutes uh almost exactly he also insinuates that they're all lesbians uh that they should all do hla it's it's awful right because he did that yeah yeah but okay Nope. Sorry, Amber. Sorry. I'm getting an Amber. I'm getting an Amber alert. Someone's been kidnapped. Uh, what what kind of car is it? Uh, it is a dark green Toyota Corolla. All right, keep your eyes out, guys. Now we can make a bunch of jokes about it if we need and to. We did our effort. Thing from there. Uh, but no, it ended with uh Stephanie McMahon revealing herself to be one of the people in the crowd, kick him in the nuts, and then Billy and Chuck came out and beat the shit out of him in three minute warning. Oh, well, that's cool. Yeah, it ends with the heroes getting something in that, but I was like, man, I forgot there was a whole segment where Eric Bischoff just degrades all feminists in the ring, and it was like the crowd at the time was cheering everything he was saying. Yeah, they were just like, because they were like, you're doing these things like putting women into bra and panties matches, and the crowd's like, ah! <laughs> Eric Bischoff's just like, you're just like, oh, come on, man. <laughs> Gonna send this to me again? They're like, oh "Hey, look out your fucking window, asshole! See that car?" <laughs> it's like, "Oh, the cars are outside." Wait a minute, that's not a car. That's a wormhole. <laughs> you just see the wormhole with the phone, just like, boop, boop, boop. <laughs> oh well, I've been exposed, but you're here, so. <laughs> oh, you crafty fuck. <laughs> Uh, now I get to go on my own spacefaring adventure. Wait, there's no ship out here. Oh, that- <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Just me like, man, I can't wait to see what kind of crazy space adventure Nick's having right now. Just you lifelessly floating through space. <laughs> I'm sure Nick will be back from his space journey to talk about Prince of Tennis with us next week. Let's just wait. <laughs> Oh, hold on. I I hear someone tapping me in my window. That's obviously extraordinary, but I should go check this out. (laughs) It's me, Nick, Warrior of Time. You're not Warrior of Time. (laughs) (laughs) What are you doing up here, Nick? And why do you have a fake mustache on, no glasses, and are a giant, enormous, crackling wormhole? (laughs) You free pizza, you say? Well... It is about time I got that free pizza for Sakiju. Oh. Anyway. <laughs> All right. So Magma is the worst person in the world. Suika is like horrified by this news and rush it. And then of course rushes off to tell everyone about it. And everyone just kind of recaps. Ah, all right. So yeah, it makes sense. Cause when Gin was buying his time, 
he made the flowers disappear in front of Magma. So Magma just concluded, oh, that's the rumored sorcerer. He's an outsider I don't recognize, and he apparently did magic. So that's the sorcerer, and that's why he actually tried to kill him. Last week, I thought that we you were kind of meant to believe at first glance that, like, Sukaz had sent someone maybe to follow up on Gen to make sure that he did betray them. But, no, this is a nice explanation. Like, oh, that makes perfect sense why he would attack them that way. Um, but this works out, of course, in uh, the good guy's favor. Because, for one thing, Senku didn't get killed. Gen was able to uh, either be his... Um, Mistaken double. And, uh, also now they believe that Senku is dead and so their sorcery will now be stopped. So good for them. Uh, I love that, you know, Senku's and Chrome's reaction to this because Chrome's like, <laughs> he thought you were, you, Gen was you and stabbed him. And Senku's like, <laughs> he got stabbed by a spear. <laughs> <laughs> And Kuhok is like, what? Why are you two laughing? <laughs> I just and, like it. Like he's laughing so hysterically at the notion of just like he got super fucked by coincidence. <laughs> she's like, it was just a horrible case of mistaken identity. <laughs> she's like, I don't know why you're laughing. I thought you liked him. And Chrome is like, uh, yeah, it would have been bad if he died, but he didn't, so it's fine, because now we can laugh at it. Yeah, he's like, when a guy's your friend, you just laugh it off. Kuok is like, God, men. <laughs> Which in this case, like, yeah. <laughs> oh no, I'm totally on their side. I'd have been laughing so much if it happened to you, Nick. That's kind of the thing. <laughs> oh, she she's right. But I'm just saying, I'm right there with them. Oh yeah, totally. Like it's that's the thing, is like if you if you know you like were to fall out of a car or something like that, once we make sure you're okay and you're gonna make a full recovery, ah you fell out of a car. <laughs> 100%. There was a point in time I was walking to, like, a Target or something like that with my brother. And it was like a, it's like a 20, 30 minute walk or something like that. And he was running to catch up with me, fell while we were going up a hill and just ate some of the most shit I've ever seen a person eat on the planet. And I didn't even really wait to see if he was okay. He got up, so I was already like, ha, 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 And it's like, that's just what you do. And like, you tell it to some people, they're like, you're a monster. <laughs> was, he even, was he even okay? I was like, I, probably. I couldn't hear him through my laughing, but he seemed like it was, <laughs> he, he was walking, so what do you want? Oh, man. So, um, Senku afterwards is like, okay. Anyway, why does this magma guy want to kill you? Uh, to Kohaku. And Kohaku says it's probably because of the grand bout. And she explains that, uh, once per generation, the village holds a grand bout martial arts tournament. And there are martial artists there and weird animal people that never really go explained in the rest of the series. And, uh, weapons and tools are forbidden, but. So, um, da, 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 da. Kaka says, yeah, so a few months ago, the shamaness, my big sister Ruri, turned 18 years old, and whoever wins, wins the grand bout wins her hand becomes the new chief. That's how my father became chief years ago. And you see bits of magma fighting off the other guys, easily overpowering them, knocking them to the ground. And they're like, yeah, on to the final match. But all of a sudden... 
Ruri just bends over and coughs, her sickness showing. And, uh, of course, you know, Chroma's like, hey, oh my, are you, are you alright? And everyone's like, don't, don't approach her. You know, you stop it with your weirdness. Get away from her. And, uh, <laughs> Magma continues to be the biggest douchebag on the planet. And not even in his private thoughts, he says this aloud to himself and Kohaku overhears him. He said, she, he thinks, he thinks to himself, Ruri, she's got another year left at best. And then he says out loud, Sorry if I don't bother nursing you back to health. You can just hurry up and die, leaving me with the chief's throne. Or even better, lose the will to live even sooner and throw yourself off a cliff. Wow. <laughs> a sick woman? Well, I'll fuck her once and then throw her away. <laughs> what? Jesus Christ. <laughs> it is like that level of like, are you trying to keep up the appearances that you're not a complete monster? Because... I guess Everyone's just, cheering you. for you, but do they not hear you? Or are you just she saying this? Based on strength, I guess he doesn't have to care with keeping up appearances, though. I suppose. It's just weird, because everyone else in the village seems like a good person, more, like, by and large. He's just the one asshole, and everyone's like, look, I mean, dude could bench, like, 450, like... He's, uh, I, he, he killed my mom. Like, just killed her. He didn't like her, just killed her. But, I mean, come on, dude. I'm still gonna get the t-shirt. The dude's, he's fucking amazing. <laughs> God. He wins every fight. I'm, I'm gonna have to do it, you know. She's the one I want. The most beautiful girl in the village. And doesn't she deserve the best man? Especially before she kicks it in a month or so. <laughs> and I take everything? Why don't you die quicker? It's like the Gaston who, like, just, like, Belle, I hear there's a lot of wolves in that forest. Just keep wandering around out there. <laughs> and somehow that makes me the king after you die. So, of course, after hearing all this, Kohaku immediately kicked Magma's ass, beat him down with... I don't even know if that's a shield. I think that might just be a bowl. Uh, no, but knocked his weapons out of his hands, pinned him to the ground... And then said, you know, Magma, you're the last sort of man I'd ever hand over to Big Sis Ruri. And uh with that, uh, she's declared the winner of the tournament. And immediately, I love the reactions because their mom is like, great, who's going to marry Lady Ruri now? And, and the chief crushes his goblins. And God, why do we let her participate? <laughs> why didn't we put rules to this tournament? <laughs> Yeah, okay. it's like was so, she, was she so a, because you have to get married, it can't be to your own sister. <laughs> the logic is to continue procreating and to not create incest. So why did we not put a rule that your own family can compete in this competition, or that you could just hit the start button and a new challenger interrupts things? I'd love to follow up on this because Sick is like, oh, okay, that makes sense. That's why your dad disinherited you, and he's just like. Well, or Kahaku says, well, I mean, that was the last straw, I <laughs> she's guess. Like, she's <laughs> like, there's some other stuff. Um, yeah, and so, you know, Chrome's like, oh, I get it, you know, so that's why Magma went and killed Gen. Well, he's still alive. But having a chief like him would be bad news. <laughs> I love that he, that's in the middle of his rant, just like, that's why he went and killed Gen. I mean, he's still alive. But anyway. <laughs> be great like we cut back to a couple years and it's like Ruri or Kohaku playing Mario Party with her dad and she lands in the fucking <laughs> bonus hidden star and it's just him like 
This is the fourth straight game. She's like, look, I don't control it. I just, it happens. He's just like, oh, I finally get my revenge. I finally got the blue shell. Oh, I got the invincibility star. How did you get that? You were in first place. She's like, there's a microscopic chance that can happen. And I'm just it did. really good at timing the item countdown. You just see him. He's like, you have this much left. As long as you don't fuck up with the most sacred tradition of our culture. I might overlook you, bro, like just destroying me in Mario P- Nintendo Party games. Everyone else is just like, oh no, Kohaku has ruined our sacred tradition. How are we going to carry on the legacy of our village? And it cuts over to, to her father, just flashing to him going off a cliff in, in the, in the, in the penguin level five times. <laughs> <laughs> Getting knocked off of the boo boardwalk one too many times. Just snapping the controller in half. She's like, look, that's the reason why amongst sorcery in our village, Mario Tennis is also forbidden here. Mario Tennis is a fun fucking game. I'll talk about Mario Tennis next week. <laughs> She's like, look, all right, he doesn't stay on his sides. We're supposed to play left and right, and he's always jumping into my side. That's not how you're supposed to play doubles. You just leave the other side of the court open. Why you just keep on running up to the net? You're not even swinging. You just let the ball hit you in the face. <laughs> okay. So, Senku's like, all right, this is a big deal. Because if Magma becomes your new chief, then finishing the Panakia for Ruri could be a challenge, not to mention recruiting the villagers into the kingdom of science. And Kawaka says, this could be our chance, though. Because if a member of your kingdom defeats Magma, he could marry Ruri and become chief, and that would solve all our problems. It would mean more assistance for the kingdom and nothing in the way of curing my sister. So, I, I, I like this moment because it's a, where they're like, oh, hey, we took this unexpected bad thing that happened, and now we're turning it into a big opportunity for us. And it really feels as though this entire sequence with the village is kind of coming to a very... Um, well-crafted clothes. Uh, it feels like it's all coming together, basically. Um, so she approaches Kinro and Ginro, and uh, she's like, I have a question for the two of you. And she's like, what do you think of my big sister, Uri? Would you like to marry her? He's <laughs> so upfront about it. And of course, uh, fucking, um, I always get their names mixed up because they're the same, basically. I think it's Kinro, the blonde one. It's like, oh, I don't know, you know, Lady Ruri's cute and all. She's got, you know, f- pretty face and boobs. I mean, she's refined and ladylike. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I, I do like the... I'm, I'm liking the other one more and more. Because uh, Ginro says, like, she is more than just a face. Or are women's looks all you're concerned with? You disgust me, Ginro. And Kinder's like, I mean, what the hell? I mean, I know I mentioned her boobs, but I mean, ladylike refinement. <laughs> I do like these two. They're a pretty good pairing. Um, but Ginro says, like, hey, my answer is the same as it always is, which is guards don't engage in discussions. <laughs> Not even answering the question. But, uh, but he's like, but if we're just chatting casually here, it's not exactly breaking the rules. So. I get where you're actually kind of up to here. That Senku is not a bad guy. So just tell me what's going on here, and then we can actually discuss this openly. And Kuhaka says, we're trying to save my big sister's life. 
And without providing any more details, he's just like, that's good enough for me. No more explanation necessary. It's like, oh, I hope you win, dude. That's cool. <laughs> he's a good dude. Uh, so they start training, intense training together, the three of them, Kohaku trying to get the two of them strong enough so that one of them stands a chance of defeating Magma. Uh, and eventually during a break, she looks up at Chrome in his hut and she's like, hey, you know, the truth is I actually wanted to train you more than anyone, but these guys are the only ones who actually have a chance of physically besting Magma in a fight. So, sorry. And Senku goes to the guy version of that, which is, ah, you got the hots for Ruri, but you, you're too weak in order to marry her. Ah! <laughs> like a good friend does. <laughs> um, but Chrome just thinks back to when they were kids and, you know, Ruri's saying like, hey, you know, they say I can't be cured and I won't even live long enough to grow up. And Chrome's like, hey, you know, I'll I'll find a way. I'll search and search as long as it takes. I'll find a way to cure you. That's a promise. And Chrome says, getting really dramatic, hey, if this scientific Panakia can cure Ruri, if she can live unhappily, that's good enough for me. Because above all else, I'm a genius scientist. And Senku knows this because he's like, huh, oh, so you're not a sorcerer anymore. You're a scientist. Yeah, that's right. And, uh, so really cool little moment for Chrome here. Uh, so in that conviction of his, I have a feeling that it's not just going to be like, well, Kinro and Ginro are, or Kin, Kinro slash Ginro is able to defeat Magma. Obviously there's going to be more thrown into it than that. Um, probably using science to gain advantage in some way or another. But uh, we'll see how how that turns out. But I like this little inter- inductions of uh, uh, maturity and drama into all this. I'm very curious to see if this like grand battle is actually played out like a tournament of some kind. Because I, I imagine the room to do that is still in there. Because there's still a lot of people in the town we haven't met yet. I mean, there's still that one dude who didn't even have a name. Who you're like... Who looked all crazy, like, that dude's gotta do something. Like, you could see them doing, like, a tournament Wild or something man. like that. Putting things up like that. So, from there, uh, Senku says, alright, what we're gonna do next is something that's just as critical as iron. It's glass. And this is, um, visualized as a, as a, as a stained glass window pretty cool but i just like some of the details within it because you know there's like medicine and stars and planets an atom just says at the bottom science equals mc squared and there's a robot next to him of course (laughs) obviously robot tank this is a little robot just going hi ah uh and Chrome points out, hey, I thought, you know, shouldn't we be like, uh, you know, we have electricity now. Can't we use that to make, uh, medicine? Wasn't that the plan? And Sega's like, yes, that is the plan, but in order to actually, you know, do the chemistry and stuff like that, in order to do it, uh, practically, we need to have glass beakers. Uh, glass can stand up to most chemicals. It's essential for us to be able to actually do this. It's where chemistry really begins. And then he says, in a bizarre kind of tangent, I have no idea what the logic for him transitioning between the point about glass to this one, I guess we'll find out next week. I think I can kind of see it. Uh, 
I think he's saying that Sueka has poor vision, and with glasses on, she wouldn't need to hide her face. Because he says, like, huh. with a bit of glass, we could pop that anoxious helmet right off. But then he just takes the helmet off. So obviously yeah. it's not like uh, we have to get a glass spatula to pull it off. I'm just thinking, oh, if he has glass, then perhaps he could, like, maybe she wears the helmet because she has trouble seeing anyway. And uh-huh. he could give her glasses and that would be that she wouldn't need a helmet, essentially. That's possible. That's my assumption. Because otherwise, I'm like, because he just pops it off right at the end. You're like, oh, what the fuck? <laughs> I was actually kind of thinking to myself, I was like, I wonder if there's like gonna be a twist where like instead of him taking it off, she like retreated upwards into it. <laughs> what? <laughs> she does it's pulled up alongside. It's a very bizarre last page to end on. Like, imagine if you showed that panel to someone with absolutely no context. What the hell would they think was going on with this freaked out man going, ah, another one looking like, ooh, while he's just holding half of a melon rind in his hands. <laughs> And with the sound effect pop too. <laughs> uh, yeah, a good uh, chapter overall. Lots of good moments, but also it feels like there's a constant thread that I really like going through it. I love the progression of the story. Yeah, I'm uh, pretty excited about it. Um, I'm really curious to see if they actually like what happens with this grand tournament stu- or grand battle stuff too. Mm-hmm. All right. So, let's move on then to We Never Learned. Question 31. A lost lamb in new territory encounters X. So it's summer vacation, Nick. Vacation all I ever wanted. Vacation like all those 90s movies. Uh, but instead of having a wacky adventure in like a foreign country like all the Nickelodeon movies did, uh, he's not going on any like trips. He is... In well, we're not going to go to Australia to have an extreme sports race. <laughs> No, we're not even going to meet the Wild Thornberries. It's a really disappointing movie, because instead, Ueka is going right to cram school, because he is uh, an exam taker. He, you know, it's, summer isn't about all that fun stuff, it's about cram school. And uh, we find out in the flashback that he, uh, Ueka is able to afford this cram school, because his principal is essentially allowing him to attend for free, in exchange for helping, you know, the, the girls get their their grades up a little bit like he shows off a, a language arts test from Ogata that's a 31 so clearly they all still have a lot to to kind of gain but in return for it Uwega gets to attend this this cram school and he's super excited he's like ah oh, better not think about it you know oh nobody else wore their uniform I'm such a fucking dork <laughs> look at me uh but this girl says hey can you move over I need to get behind you there and we see this girl who at first glimpse I thought she was supposed to be like uh, like a sleepy person because she has like really heavy bags under her eyes and like the bangs over her forehead and everything like that. I thought she was supposed to be like, I don't know, maybe like a dark brooding character. But uh, instead, as we quickly find out, she's kind of meant to be implied as like, oh, she's the really young looking person because Ogata or sorry, Uega sees her and it's like, oh, is this a middle school student? Wow, they're so incredible. She she accelerated fast, you know? Yeah, you know, she's even taller than Ogata, but, you know, whatever. Nice to meet you. Can't wait to work with you. She's like, fuck off. <laughs> and immediately the class starts, and the professor is going a mile a minute. He's, like, listing off all this information at a crazy fast rate that Uega can't even keep up with it. And then immediately uh, the girl he's with, Asumi, as we find out, answers the question in just a succinct kind of response, and he's like, Great response! And then starts erasing all the stuff, so Yoiga starts panicking. He's like, ah, shit, I didn't take all the notes for this! 
But uh, Asumi drops her, her notes in front of uh, Ueka, kind of just gives them for him to to copy off of. Uh, and after, you know, there's a break and everything, he thanks her for it. And he's like, man, you're really impressive, you know, following such high-paced, fast lessons at your age. And that's when she kind of, like, turns to him and she's like, yeah, so you're from Ichinose Academy, right? Yeah, I graduated from there, dickhead. I'm your senior. Show me some respect. Now... I understand because she is small and has a young face that he might have mistaken her for being younger than him. I have no idea where the grade school comment came from because she might have a young looking face. She's got tits, dude. <laughs> he doesn't look there, Nick. He's a good boy. He's pure, pure hearted. <laughs> I would like All to he s- sees when he looks at a woman is like a shape, the height and the face. He sees a soul, Nick, like he's supposed oh. to. I want to say that he's pure. He doesn't even think about boobs, but I'm like, there's been so many chapters where boobs have been in his face. He's like, oh God, what do I do? Uh, so yeah, we see her, her, you know, student ID. It's true. She's uh what is called a Ronin in Japan. It's the term used for a student who didn't get into their school of choice. So they're taking an extra year to study and retake the exams. So she's 19 years old. She's older than everybody else. Uh, and she's, a Ronin because she's she's staying behind to retake the national med school program tests. So she's going to cram school again. And uh, basically, it's the moment for your way to kind of be like, oh, wow, she's so really focused on this stuff. Well, I better use lunchtime and stuff to review. And uh, while he's doing that, she immediately, like, he hears her stomach gargling. He's like, you're not going to eat? She's like, I can't afford it, all right? So, of course, you wake up. That poor, poor boy. <laughs> Offers to share half of his you lunch You want with my her. bread crusts? <laughs> yeah, I've got some extra bread crusts if you want them. Plus, I found two pieces of chewed gum in the lunch <laughs> the floor earlier. You can have them if you want. Uh, and she does. She takes she, she takes the other half of his lunch, and they kind of uh, have a, a time to talk about some things. And you make a kind of comments it's like, huh, I kind of thought cram school would just be a place where my scores would magically improve. And... Assume he's like, no, that's stupid if you think that, you know, there might be the rare genius who could sit there just by learning and listening, but there's plenty of people who come here thinking all they have to do is show up, but if you don't put in the effort, you're not actually going to see the results. You know, we're responsible for our own studying, and I made that mistake previously, so that's why I'm here for a second go around. And, uh, you know, your wig is so impressed. He's like, wow, it's so great. Yeah. He's like, you're so smart, Asumi. Oh, man, I think I was thinking you might be a junior high. Now I want to slap myself. She's like, yeah. You want to help with that? That's that's a nice little comment. I like that bit. Yeah. So we we zoom around, and basically class is ending, and your wig is like, oh, oh, I must have missed her leaving. You know, I was so busy. Well, oh, well. And he's heading home. He's like, wait a minute. I don't know this town at all. And then two I'm very... a poor boy lost in this adult district. <laughs> <laughs> These two creepy guys show up, and you can tell they're creepy because they end their sentences with a heart. We're like, hey, Junior, you need help with something? We know where you really want to go. You're, you're going to like this there, kid. Yeah, don't worry. They don't they don't card there. And uh, instead of thankfully not taking him to a brothel or something. I was very worried. <laughs> they took him. They take him to a maid cafe. It's considerably uh, more innocent. <laughs> although the first image is basically of a, a girl in a maid costume yes. spot <laughs> with the, the flutter effect to it. Uh, but, you know, they're all doing their, their whole maid shtick. And I like Yuega here. He's just like, 
Sorry for my ignorance. Is this one of those maid cafes? Sure is. Yep. Does it cost money? Of course, of course it does. It's <laughs> just like you wake a shaped cloud of dust as he's like running for the door. But <laughs> apparently, you know, still costs money even to be seated there. And uh, it's more than he has. So, you know, he's there lamenting how he's uh, going to be gone forever. You know, forgive me, my family. Your brother will be forced into servitude. Go on without me to my, my, my students, you know, that I'm mentoring. I hope that you succeed in your future and your tests. Uh, but that's when we are interrupted by a voice saying, I'm so sorry I'm late. I'm Ashumi, the pixie maid. As always, I'm at your service. And, of course, it's uh, Asumi, who we, we met earlier, and she is a uh, maid at the maid cafe. Because why are there, what other reason would there be to take Uega to a maid cafe if not I to mean, find out a girl who like, does work as there? As, as soon as she disappeared and, and Uega got lost, I was like, She's he's going to be taken to her place of work, which is something embarrassing and cute. And oh, they're going to a maid cafe. I wonder if it's if she's going to show. It. <laughs> Has there ever been a like point in a, a manga or anime where a character, like in any kind of I guess like romance sort of series, where a character has gone? to a maid cafe and didn't find out one of his friends works there or someone he just met works there? It's always someone working at the maid cafe. It's never people actually visiting the maid cafe. Yeah, it's, it seems like that place exists to be a device in these sorts of manga to just be like, what, you work at the cafe? Or someone is working there and needs to hide the fact that they're there. Like, they see, like, oh, man, you know, fucking Joe's here. I had to hide myself, so I'm going to put on a fake mustache and, you know, spill orange juice in his face and fucking burn acid in his eyes so that way he doesn't know it's me. <laughs> Uh, but that's essentially the chapter. There's one last little joke I like that, you know, obviously they're just like, wah, wah, what are you doing here? But then the bouts are still like, so need that money. <laughs> not the money. <laughs> it's just him like, come on. Uh, I, I like this chapter, actually. I, you know, uh, despite the fact I just criticized that, I don't know if it's a trope, but what it feels like a trope to be of the maid cafe, oh, someone works here. I kind of like Asami. I think, you know, she seems like a fun character. Uh, I, I don't know. I just, I, I enjoy that personality to her. I think she kind of represents something different. It's tough to say if she's meant to be I like, know. I don't know. I, she feels like a less cartoonish Konomi to me, honestly, at this point. Uh, I need to ones? see more from her. Which not, one's not, what's her name? The teacher. Oh, uh, yeah, I know who you mean now. Um, Kirisu? Uh, yeah, Kirisu. Kirisu. She seems like a, a less cartoonish Kirisu, basically. A less exaggerated version of her, who is also a little bit younger. I'm not, you know, averse to the idea of, like, another girl being introduced into the series because it was always going to happen eventually. I'm glad that there was more of a wait uh, this time than there has been for the previous couple. Um, but... I mean, I like the the very real element that she brings in where she says, like, hey, you know, I screwed up, and so I learned this lesson, so here's a free one that I had to learn the hard way, which is, you know, at a certain stage in your education, you are entirely responsible for what you learn, and you've got to work hard at it, and you only get out what you put in. Um, that's a nice little thing that I think that especially some younger readers of Jump could really stand to, to learn, honestly. Uh, the, the sooner you learn that lesson, the better off you're going to be in your life. Um, 
but I don't know. They're just the serious person who has an embarrassing job. It's is really a, a cliche. And I feel as though we need to see more of her personality beyond the cliches before I make a full judgment on her. I, After I, all, I really hate Aruka for, for a couple of chapters, and then she's like, oh, she's the best one. <laughs> yeah, and I, I think I totally see where you're coming from there. I think what I say I kind of like, or I, I like sort of the aspect you brought into it with, you know, hey, she has this real element to her. She's somebody who made, you know, has made a mistake, has become mature. Again, I, I, I think I've noted before, too, one of the things I hate the most is when you have a character who looks young and they're like, no, she's actually 19, but she still acts like a baby or like a kid mm-hmm. and just like, oh, I love Wally Pops and shit. Like, that shit always bugs me. So I like, you know, going, playing against type here and it's like, oh, actually, she may look young, but she's actually probably the most mature person we've seen in this series to this point. Which, of um, course, means that she's even more embarrassed to be seen in her, man. Yeah, the little pixie outfit, whatever. But uh I think one thing to kind of note is I don't know if she's going to be, like, because I, I, I still don't know if the series has necessarily going to have that full harem angle to it. It feels like it maybe has found its groove with the... Uh, uh, Takamoto and Ogata and then maybe Furuhashi on the side. Cause there's also like Sekijo and Kirisu who both are, you know, regularly occurring characters, but aren't meant to, I think, explicitly be in love with Uega. They're just kind of other girls who can show up in there, have Chris, their stories. You don't and- understand how harem series work. <laughs> the girls in the harem don't all need to be in love with the protagonist for them to be in the harem. <laughs> that is true. Although. I will note, I feel like I have a little bit better of a batting average when it comes to analyzing this series right now. Okay, do you want to make a bet on whether or not Karisu is in the harem or not, then? Karisu? Mm-hmm. No, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm going to be a smart person here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hedge my bet right now. I'm getting that free pizza, which no Kijo fucking... <laughs> which Akijo does that, reels that, I'm getting that free pizza. I'm not losing that. No God more bets ever. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, let's play this smart. Uh, I'm just, I, I just, I think there's a possibility that she doesn't have to be forced into the series to be the exact same extent as like Takamoto and um, uh, like Ogata are. She could just be used sparingly for certain things, and I think she just brings a different element to the series. I guess. What you know, piece of last time he hasn't won yet. <laughs> We're getting close. He's going to, but he hasn't yet. <laughs> You're like, oh, please, I don't know how it happens, but please let Sakicho get hit by a truck. <laughs> they're like, at her eulogy, they're like opening up her diary, like, no, no! My last breath, Ogata, I have something important to tell you. I totally love dick and never you. <laughs> I've been, love dudes, ugh. <laughs> Just to be like, damn it, Nick, really didn't nail that. But yeah, I, I, I like this chapter by large. Um, again, you can comment on the end and how, you know, much of a been there, done that sort of thing this is, but it's not the worst sort of thing that, you know, the, uh, we never learn has done in that, that extent of like playing off of the tropes of the genre. And as long as it continues to then put in the good writing alongside it, I'm always going to be kind of, uh, for it. We'll, we'll, we'll see more. All right. Uh, with that said, let's move on to the Promised Neverland. Uh, okay. It's 
What is the chapter? Oh, there it is. Chapter 55. Oh, great. The one with all the nudity. Chapter 55, B0632, part five. So last time, th- through a ball punch uh, and a bout of insanity, uh, the guy who uh, was trying to get everyone to leave the hidden base uh, was disabled and fell over unconscious. We catch up with him uh, at the beginning of this chapter. The kids have strapped him down onto a table so that he can't do anything while they're exploring the facility. Um, looks like they got a good night's sleep in proper beds for once. Um, although it looks more like mattresses on the ground, but hey, proper mattresses on the, on the floor is beats anything that they would have had out in the wild. So, uh, and everyone is just celebrating their return to having uh, modern luxury, getting, being able to get proper food, uh, being able to get cleaned up, clean their clothing, sleep in beds. And everyone, all the boys, rush into the bath. And we all get put on a list because so many of them have their little dicks out. Their tiny little kid balls just squealed on there in their crotches. About half of them have discretion shots. I guess it's because... I just don't like seeing all the fucking dicks on display. <laughs> okay? Ah, uh, there's, there's so many pictures of child dick in this chapter. Stop it! Ah, <laughs> uh, so... The kids are showering and bathing with their fucking balls and penis out. Child dick, Chris. Yes, there's a lot of child penis. What are you going to do, Nick? Complain excessively. Nick, it's just little fucking child dick. What are you going to do about it, you know? People are saying, like, hey, any other series would have been in the girls' bath times. Like, that's still bad, though. They're all less than 12. I'm not happy with this. It doesn't matter that they're boys. It matters that they are children. <laughs> well, it's it's always been that thing that, uh, you know, people think that the, the little penises are funny. Like, you're like, whatever. Who cares? I still don't like, like, I still don't like it whenever there's, like, some diapers commercial or something like that where it's just like, look, a naked child running around. It's like, stop that! <laughs> Nick's getting indignant, like, screaming at his television, like, hey! What are you doing? Get out of here! Put a lever on that kid! <laughs> You're like throwing things at the TV. Stop it! Stop it! <laughs> Nick, it's, you can't change it like that. I mean, I didn't even really... I, I was just noted, I was like, there's a lot of male nudity this week. That was basically the beginning and end of it. <laughs> it's not the male nudity that I object to. It's the child nudity. Stop it! You want to know what I object to, Nick? I object to that commercial that keeps playing where... It's the guy who's like, oh, there's a hole in our roof. I bet I could fix it. And his wife's like, ha, 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 no. And then, like, they show they got, like, a professional guy to do it. And he's like, you know, I bet I could. And then from the side, you just see his wife like, no. And I'm like, look. You don't have to cuck your fucking husband like that. <laughs> come on, man. <laughs> it's like, come on. <laughs> I don't know why. Like, I get it. He's an idiot. But, <laughs> like, come on. Don't cuck him in front of the guy. 
She's like leaning over the plumber while he's while he's fixing the sink. She's like, "Oh yeah, work this way." Like maintaining eye contact with her husband while she. While she She's like, "This is a per. This is a man who can do a job." He's just like, oh. "Yeah, yeah, you can never satisfy me in terms of fixing my sink the way he can." Oh yeah, no, I thought like he seems like he's got good intentions. Who knows? This is a fi- this is like a thirty second commercial. I don't know his his depth of character. Maybe he's not bad. Maybe he's just misguided. The plumber's just looking at her like what? I only note that because I've been watching a bunch of NFL cover like videos on YouTube, and every fucking time that's the ad for it. And like after a while, I'm just like, all right, this is- come on now. At least wait for the guy to leave. Anyway, in addition to all the other stuff that they've got at the facility, they've got spare clothes. Um. But although they note that some of them are far too large for the smallest kids, uh, but they're like, hey, you know, this way we can change into other clothes and we can do laundry and stuff and they have proper food to eat again. Everyone gets to gather around a table. Emma's hair is longer than ever. Um, and yeah, they're all eating together and, uh, Ray kind of explains like, oh, this shelter's pretty amazing. It's like it was designed by May. <laughs> Although if it happened to Zai by me, there would be fewer statues. He's there like, are already zero statues. No, no, no. They're too gauche. There have to be negative statues. <laughs> He's like, there has to be a CrossFit gym, because i got to get my CrossFit on. Except huh. I don't do CrossFit. I made my own form of CrossFit called RayFit. <laughs> it's like CrossFit, but with even less rolls and <laughs> more dangerous maneuvers. Watch all go. Everyone's eating and left the table. <laughs> He's like, let me show you. So with this exercise, you just pick up dumbbells. You start swinging your arms around like this. You're a training. Wait, <laughs> really, it works out all your muscles. You guys don't understand. <laughs> oh, my shoulder. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it all hurts. Why does everything hurt? <laughs> anyway. She's like, I don't get it. You got all high scores. You should know this. This isn't how anatomy works. <laughs> He's like, well, I that's just... anatomy that applies to a regular hum- human being as opposed to a Raymond being. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Obviously, someone with their baby memories has known how their muscles truly work. Isn't Rayman a video game? <laughs> yes, and it's one of the best 3D platformers of the early ages. People always talk about Spyro the Dragon and Mario. I'm talking about things like Bubsy and Acro the Acrobat, <laughs> the classic platformers. <laughs> I'm a home improvement video game. Can't forget about that one. <laughs> People say the home alone movie is the best thing. It's the game that's actually amazing. <laughs> Anyhow. She's like, Ray, I just, I, I thought you'd get less fucking awful. <laughs> <laughs> once we were out outside of your element. <laughs> I, I thought once you were surrounded by a real family unit, maybe you'd stop being this. <laughs> oh, God. So, uh, Ray explains, like, uh, there's a bath, toilet, kitchen, and even a garden. It's more than I expected. And water is secure from an underground well. With the help of geothermal energy and organic waste, you generate power. If that's not enough, there's an auxiliary generator powered by a separate fuel, too. And Don's like, what's organic waste? And Ray's just like, you get power from our poop? He's like, so like, wait, what? He's like, well, we get normal power output from your poop, but with my poop, we get an extra boost of power. It's the cleanest energy you're ever going to see. I poop clean fuel. I love that the guild is like, we're eating you guys. For the love of God. Oh, it's a bad day to do beef stroganoff now. <laughs> oh, man. So, um, 
Yeah, Brady says, like, yeah, we should actually be fine in terms of water and power as long as we don't use too much. But Emma's like, yeah, although there's not a whole lot of food in the pantry. As they point out, there is a guy who's been living here for 13 years going through it. So... I really uh, wish Fat Chops was just, like, holding over, like, an empty cookie tin, just, like, tears rolling down his face. But Emma points out, hey, you know, there were animals outside, there were birds flying around, there were lizards and snakes. And I love the reaction that the two of the kids have, because one's like, lizards and snakes! They're just like, lizards and snakes. Uh. <laughs> Nick, which one do you relate more with? Second one. <laughs> I love that, like, right before the hurricane hit, you posted up, like, your, what, gif a character that you remind me of, and, uh, almost everybody sent you, like, ones that were, like, right to your personality, I was like, hey, you yeah. kind of remind me of Philbert the Turtle from Rocco's Modern Life. <laughs> so and I was like, like, I'm okay. nauseous. Hey, I'm nauseous. I don't know why, I guess, this <laughs> is the part of me that's like, there's a little, like, Philbert the Turtle. My my favorite was uh, when someone someone did a gif of uh, Raven from Teen Titans, and they were like, well, you know, like a male version. And it was a gif that had Cyborg in it, and so someone was like, "Is that my Chris Cyborg or Beast Boy?" And uh, then someone put up like Control Freak from that one episode. I'm like, you know, I relate strongly with all three of them my own ways. <laughs> in different ways, I can see all of them. Yes. <laughs> I've got a, I've got a lot of control freaky. May you see how much many fucking nerdy references that dude pulls out? Jeez. <laughs> Especially to those fictional series that don't actually exist. Mm. And those fictional penises you keep being shown. Yeah. <laughs> Although I don't think it would be nearly as weird out by it as me. The weirdo. Anyhow. Um But uh they're still quite optimistic about this. You know, it points out, hey, you know, we've got the non perishables that we brought from the house, we've got the seeds. Uh, the Mujica Cava, so we can actually live in this place and make it kind of semi-permanent. And uh, Ray says, yeah, I mean, you know, Minerva's not here. There's a weird old geezer here, and there are still unanswered questions. But, yes, this will make a great hideout for us. It's safe, it's clean, and all of us can live and survive here for a long time. And Emma's really happy from all this. She's like, oh, we can, we can live here, all 15 of us who are over five years old. We are at a safe place without anyone getting killed. And in a almost cartoonish moment, they all kind of gather to the to the smoking room or something like that. And one of them who knows how to play piano, they're all a bunch of super smart kids. Fine, it just starts playing, and they're all just kind of celebrating together. And Emma kind of imagines all of them gathered together, including like the the you know five and under kids. I think I think that she's imagining this because all this all the kids are there because you can see Phil's to the right of her. Yes, yes, there he is up there. So she imagines all of them gathering, gathered together, uh, living together as a family again, while living, living in paradise and happiness. But as she, after she thinks this, she says, hey, you know, we're going to share this happiness with Phil and the others. We'll go to the human world with our entire family together. And so nice to see that little bit of resolve there. Um, and... Uh, but yeah, like, hey, we 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 we're, you know, and Emma says, hey, but I'm, I I'm miss Phil and Norman. Um, but Ray says, well, we can still see Phil and the other kids. That's why we're going to look for clues. What about Norman? I mentioned Norman. No, he's totally dead. <laughs> he's never coming back. He's separate, never dead. I stake my reputation on it. Hashtag Norman never coming back. <laughs> he's like. Ray. Hey, look at this sweet leather jacket I have in the future memory world we're creating. Pretty fucking badass jacket. 
It's like a proper suit jacket, but then it's got a ridiculous collar. He's like, he's like, I actually have a collar so popped it unpops. <laughs> I was like, what does that mean? He's like, you don't, you don't understand if you have baby memories. Like, fucking, even in the fucking optimistic, super idealistic future, you're a dickhead. I imagined this world. How can I? <laughs> He's like, because you can't imagine hashtag Ray without hashtag baby memories. <laughs> like the new version just has a grave where he was. She's like, good. Like, I feel the Norman and everyone's celebrating together. And then Ray's burnt up, spat on corpse. <laughs> yeah, I never rescued Ray from that fucking fire. <laughs> Making his his tombstone hashtag Ray. No, he didn't have his baby memories. Fuck him. <laughs> Don't have your baby memories anymore, do you, bastard? <laughs> so um, Eva says, "Okay, yeah, we're gonna look for clues. We found the reference room. Let's look for Mister Minerva. The key is in the reference materials, and what that man knows." But. As she says this, we cut over to where the mysterious man was being held captive, and the straps they were holding him down have been cut to ribbons. He reveals that he had a hidden knife on him that he was able to cut himself free with. Dun, 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 dun. I like the second half of the chapter. You know. <laughs> I, I, I generally, I like, I, I, this thing, like, yeah, it's smaltzy, but I love that two page spread. I, I love this, this notion of Emma in her, you know, ideal future thinking of them. And it's just so nice to see the kids. They're all wearing their own clothes. Like you can see their own personalities like shining through now that they're all not like, you know, kind of beholden to the, the tire they kept before. You could see, like, oh, hey, you know, that kid who's playing the songs, you know, the music now, he's, he's still playing the piano. It's like an artist. You can see there's a, a girl behind him who's drawing, and there's a, these boys up on the top left who are in, like, sports attire. You're like, oh, these are kind of who these people are if they were just normal kids and not fucking these super intelligent, like, raised fodder brains, essentially. And it's it's... It's just a really cool scene to see these characters. Like, it's just like, I don't know why it's so relieving to see Emma in like normal clothes. Some like, I don't know why it's like, oh, it's super cool. Even if it's just well, like a fantasy. When you think world. about it, the clothes that we've seen them in up to this point, this is like the first time we're seeing them in like actual normal clothes. Cause the clothes they've been up to this point have basically been the equivalent of like prison jumpsuits. Yeah. It's been their prison uniform. Just plain white, you know, whatever nonsense. And it's like, oh, it's just nice seeing them like, as a real f- kind of family unit there. Uh, in my mind, I keep trying to think, like, what's the hilarious song on the piano he's playing that leads into this, that detracts from the moment? And, like... Where I, everybody I, knows your name. <laughs> <laughs> or he's just doing, like, the one by Metallica just on the piano. <laughs> dun, 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 dun. <laughs> They're like, huh, that's a little sad, like, somber and mellow, yeah, but, like, you know, oh, whatever. Hey, what song are you, are you playing there? Hang on, wait for it. Finish with my woman. <laughs> it's about a man who has no arms and limbs that can't speak or say anything, and he's tortured inside his one. mind. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah, that's the one I said. Oh, that's the one you said. Sorry, I was I was referencing uh, Sabbath. So. Gotcha. All on the same line, but yeah, I, I like this chapter. Um, I'm uh, I'm looking forward to seeing how we. Uh, you know what happens with this guy, and mm-hmm. you know what they're gonna do there. It's it, it's you know 
one of those things though it's it's just nice to have that moment of like optimism from the kids he bursts in through the door and is like are you kids play freebird <laughs> it's, it's like it's a piano it's not really play freebird oh i'm free <laughs> <laughs> he's like i didn't see you to sing during it just play freebird i don't um <laughs> uh, all right how do I get the twang on the guitar on this thing? <laughs> He's like, you better figure it out. Click, click. All right. Oh, uh, yes. yeah. Okay. So we will move on here then to Seven Deadly Sins, Chapter 235, A New Threat. So this is actually a very, like, big chapter. A lot of stuff happens in this, it feels like. Uh, so it starts with the, the follow-up from last week where the demon lord has, has called out to Zeldris and said, you need to go retrieve your brother, for he is going to be the new awakened demon lord. And uh, Zeldris, obviously not too happy with that news. He's, he's pretty uh, not kosher with it. However... A, traitor. B, not me! Yeah. <laughs> Hold on. A, not me. Two, B... Not me! <laughs> Three! Uh, but the Demon Lord is just like, hey, you don't get a choice in this matter, buddy. Uh, you know, Melodius and his band of the Seven Deadly Sins are on their way to see you, and they are the only thing that possesses a threat to the demon race right now. You know, they are your number one priority. You need to kill them. I'm gonna be biding my time, but I'm gonna be watching you too, buddy. So get your shit together, Zeldris. So Zeldris, like, marches out, and he's like, All right, all members of the Ten Commandments, come to gather at Camelot. And then he sits there, he's like, I didn't want to respond back. <laughs> Where the fuck are they? And we basically cut around to the various different members of the, uh, this, uh, you know, glimpses, I guess, rather, of what kind of fates befell the various members of the Ten Commandments previously. Like, you know, we could see Malaskula in that jar, and... You know, we, we get uh, a shot of uh, Monsbet and uh, Dereri, who are, you know, basically living a normal life now, like in this farm shed out in the middle of nowhere. Mm-hmm. Um, I find it initially humorous, because, like, the woman comes home and chastises. Uh, which one is she? Uh, Dereri, sorry. Dereri, because she's, like, laying in a pile of hay in, like, a skirt, but she's just sprawled out. She's like, yeah, whatever, just do this. She's like, hey, come on, that's not how you should be wearing those. But then she has this weird moment where she's like, so did I hear right that you got rid of the bear that had been ransacking our farmland? She's like, yeah, he tasted great. She's like, what? Nope, that, that stops to stop caring. His clothes look nice on you. It's like, wait, she just said she ate the bear. <laughs> she's like, yeah, whatever. That's a nice shirt, though. Uh, you know, and he keeps closing, uh, cutting around, and we see, um, Loxima and Droll, who basically are like, hey, we're out. Thanks for all the fun, though, Zeldris. Next time we see you guys, gonna be on the battlefield. Give, uh, give our regards to the other, uh, Ten Commandments. And Zeldris like, ah, damn it. <laughs> Is nobody left? So he has to, like, erase their marks, so fucking Droll's like, can you see if the one on my butt's gone? He's like, hey, I'm gonna get it, so you're fine. <laughs> You got your eyes back, so you're probably good. <laughs> uh, yeah, they note, like, Estrosa is still in a coma, which means all the, almost all the Ten Commandments have been wiped out. And he's like, fine, that'll be, I'm enough on my own. But someone interrupts him saying, uh, 
you know, uh, uh, I, you know, I, I can see you ruling on the king's throne, so please let us be of assistance to you. And it's Cusack and Chandler. And I just thought that Chandler could was... he be any older? <laughs> oh yes, just be like that. <laughs> He's like, could we be any more demonic? Could you have more of a mustache, Cusack? He's just like, what mustache? <laughs> uh so these guys show up and you know they sort of offer their allegiance to uh Zeldra saying hey you know uh, we heard about your conversation where we're gonna help you out because if these people are skilled enough to defeat the ten commandments let us help out and we'll we'll beat everybody essentially and uh Zeldra's pretty happy with it um he's like it'll be great to have uh Having you here fills for the nine-man hole I'm faced with. So, pretty high praise, although who knows if that means anything. Uh, but uh, Chandler says, like, Oh, what a tear reunion between formal master and student. <laughs> I'm jealous, chish, chish, chish. And uh, Kusak's like, Ah, don't be petty. This is the time for us old soldiers to offer our services to the demon army. I'll go with Zeldrasama, and you go with Melodius as their respective teachers. So, ooh, it seems that we are, and Chandler is perhaps more than just a simple name and a friend's reference to us to make. He is, uh, they're, you know, the teacher of Melodius, it sounds like. So, mm-hmm. that seems like it's a pretty big deal. And I guess it's kind of necessary because, you know, if none of the Ten Commandments are around outside of Zeldris for this, they need something to help kind of level the playing field a little bit. For, you know, the demonic army side, especially when we know most of the demons themselves aren't much of a threat since, you know, Arthur's been periodically just guerrilla warfare picking them off nonchalantly. So it's nice that there's some backup here and something different for us to kind of see and interact with. So yes. all for it. And it was nice to touch up on some of the Ten Commandments and their fates. Um, I guess there's some that maybe didn't get enough focus there, but... I, I like completely the, forgotten how many have been worked through, honestly. Yeah, I, I completely forgot that. I was like, I guess really they have beaten just about all of them at this point. Uh, but yeah, uh, I like this chapter a lot. There's a lot to it when you kind of think about it, too. But um, I'm intrigued. There's a lot of exciting stuff happening. Mm-hmm. All right. Let's move on to Black Clover, page 125. It was beautiful. Last time, it looked as though Asta was being put in a corner because uh, he was cornered by Magna, and uh, also Kirsch was bearing down on them. But the fake Zerks had just finished up his newest trap. So we pick up where that leaves off. Kirsch flying in, and Asta hesitates for a brief moment because he's like, oh, I can't fight both of these guys at once. What should I do in order to protect the crystal? And immediately, Zerks calls him and says, go for the cherry blossom guard, you lousy runt! So Asta just trusts him, uh, goes past the, uh, g- g- just leaves the crystal and goes after Kirsch, and uh, Magnus Lee's attack goes whizzing by him straight towards the crystal, but uh, Zerks just says, there's no telling what path your magic is going to take, so I cast the magic circle on the crystal itself. Holy sh- shit! So sure enough, a circle comes to life as the fireball hits it, and immediately absorbs it and spits it straight back out, and it goes flying right back at Magna. 
And Magnus is like, ah, oh, it's the thing that he used in the first round, the thing that you know, that reflects spells. Well, that's fine, though, because the original is here to knock your puny imitation spell right back at you. And he summons a bat of fire in order to knock the fireball bat. And it disappears that he swings at it. And then it collides with him. And he's like, oh, the effect mimics mine. My spell's wicked awesome. Blech. I do like how, like, in his defeat, he's like, yo, I'm super dope. Ugh. <laughs> uh, and, of course, you know, Asta goes after Kirsch. She knocks his barrage of cherry blossoms aside and curses. She's like, oh, disgusting, disgusting, disgusting. Uh, particularly because, you know, you are erasing magic, which is the beauty of the world itself. It's an ugly, atrocious power. I am through underestimating you, peasant brat. I'll blow you in the crystal away from up here. And Mass is like, oh, if he flies any higher, I'm not going to be able to block all the cherry blossoms, even if I can throw my sword up so he's going to be able to break the crystal. And uh, so he leans, his hand goes back in order to cast his giant spell, and a trap seal appears around his arm. He's like, uh, 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 uh. and Zerg's just like, huh, yeah. I can set traps in midair too. So I do. You know, Kirch is just like, ah, oh, I will just, I'll shatter this in just a moment. But that moment's opening. Let's ask to uh, climb up a cliff in order to go after him, and he basically uppercuts Kirsch with his sword. Um, ow! That would really hurt. <laughs> yeah, that would be pretty pretty painful, but um. I guess in that world, uh, it, it, like it doesn't break your neck when that happens. I guess yeah. you can magic. You have magically reinforced body because that feels like it's just yeah. snap his neck. Oh boy! So yeah, um, he's lost a tooth. Lovely, and uh, I forget his girl's name. Literally every Mimosa. single time. Mimosa? No, no, no. What the? Yeah, the tan one. Oh, soul. Soul, yes. I keep on almost saying Mars, but it's like it's no, it's not Mars. It's the <laughs> that's the crystalline guy. Uh, anywho, so she comes bearing down the crystal with her golem, saying, "I'll make sure your sacrifice isn't in vain." Golem throws a punch at the crystal and stops right before making contact with it. Soul, of course, gets really pissed off. It's like, "Hey, hey, move! Do it! Finish it! Finish it!" And flowers start sprouting up across her golem. And we get a little flashback for most of it to essentially say, like, so I'm going to play dead, and you guys act like I've been defeated. I really don't like the reveal. It's just very basic, a twist. See, I I like it in an element of it. Like, I like the idea of, like, oh, it looked like she just got, like, really fucking just schooled, but... Oh, she was actually kind of planting like a long, like a, you know, slow burn payoff thing. It's just, it's weird in this match because it's like, oh, your whole thing with your brother, you guys just have no real actual interaction in the match itself. It's just like an after the match sort of thing. Also, it's a weird question, but if she hates men so much, why does Soul make all of her golems male, like, shaped? It's androgynous. It's formless. I don't know, Nick. I'm used to, like, that sexy volcano in the fucking uh, preview for <laughs> thing from uh, Inside Out. 
I'm like, the male ones are just dis- disgusting monsters. But then there's, of course, that buxom, shapely volcano that's, <laughs> that shows up. And they both sing a shitty song. Oh, it's so awful. I love Inside Out, but holy shit, that song, it, the entire thing is just terrible. It's, seriously, hate it. Hate I Lava You. So stupid. It's an awful pun, too. I don't get it. <laughs> oh, boy. So, anyway, it's revealed that Mimosa was planning on using her flower magic to plant the seed inside of Soul's Golem. Essentially, they knew from the beginning she's going to use a Golem. So, what I'll do is I'll essentially take it over because it's an Earth Attribute spell and I can control it for a little while if I use this. And it's a cool plan. I just really don't like the sudden light. So I'm going to pretend to be defeated while this is happening, and you must act as though I've been defeated. Okay, we did that. It's, it's just the pacing of it, honestly. So, anywho. Sol has no idea what to do because her spell's been taken over. She seems quite helpless against it, honestly, because she's just kind of, like, beating on the head and being like, Stop it! Listen to my commands! Stop! Stop! It's like, you could try dispersing it. Or summoning another one. No? Okay. I mean, not saying that she should have been able to defeat this. I'm just saying she should have tried. Well, someone also questioned the logic of, I know that the other two have been beaten at this point, but if your whole thing is, I literally have the crystal inside of, like, our team's crystal inside of our, my golem, maybe I shouldn't, like, put it in danger. Uh, because she just has the golem opens up its chest and exposes the crystal. Asta runs forward and slashes through it. And so B team wins and yay. Hooray. Done. Uh, a cool final chapter of the fight overall. I just really don't like the suddenness of the reveal. I don't like the way it was done. I like uh, Zerks at the end here because he basically goes in and starts giving like the losing team a lecture about why mm-hmm. they lost. And I thought that was kind of cool. And it continues to build up to this idea that he's some kind of lowborn who just really does not like the way nobles conduct themselves because he really goes in harsh on uh, Kirsch. Mm-hmm. And it also builds up this idea that he's, although he is clearly a, you know, not who he claims he is, because we know he's not who he claims he is, but he does seem to still want to support the Clover Kingdom for some reason. We don't know why. Uh, so, Asa, you know, I love the way that Asa interacts with this, because he's like, hey, Mass Dude, we, we, we did it, you know, we, we worked together doing it, yeah! And Zerks is just kind of like, ah, you busted my traps and we could have won easier if we hadn't do that. And Asa's like, hey, are you going to high-five me? <laughs> Fuck off. <laughs> and then, yeah, he lectures Sauls, and then and then Magna, and then, yeah, he goes go really hard in on, on Kirsch. Like, he gets really demonic-looking as he looks down on him, saying, like, you freaking royal narcissist, you were too proud the whole time. Um, and uh, Mimosa uh, kind of actually chimes in a little bit, because Asta actually kind of steps in in Kirsch's defense, or tries to, and Mimosa's like, hey, you know, it's true that sometimes poverty makes peasants hard-hearted and unrefined. Or wait, is I can't tell. I think this is Mimosa talking. Yes. This is Mimosa talking. It's just kind of hard to tell because there's no connections in the word bubbles. And they're both got squeakly lines around their word bubbles. 
Or is that freaking curse speaking? I can't fucking tell. What, what, what's the whole thing about? It's true that sometimes poverty that's, makes that's peasants hard and unrefined. It's Mosa. Mosa says basically everything because uh, the only thing Kirsch is saying is you kind of easy to tell because it's all garbled nonsense because he's supposed to be like so fucking bruised up he can't talk uh, normally. The font is different. The font yeah. is different. He's like, don't look what you say. Don't look. It's it's sightly, brother. So, yeah, because she says, you know, it's true that poverty makes peasants hard-hearted and unrefined, but their true beauty is something no one can take away. We get a flashback from her perspective, apparently just spotting a couple of street urchins from her palatial palace uh, sharing bread with each other, like that scene at the beginning of Aladdin. Um, well, it's supposed to be a, a continuation of the scene we saw, not maybe it wasn't last week, but two weeks ago. I can't remember 100%. Uh, but we see, saw some scene where Kirsch was like talking about like, here's what the peasants do. And he watched some kids steal a piece of bread. And this is the follow up to that. Most of being like, Oh, but the part I noticed was this little girl or this maybe it was supposed to be a brother who came and gave that bread to their younger sibling. And that's what Mm -hmm. she saw out of it. So I like that. It's a nice little follow up touch to kind of connect those two moments and show how differently those two thought. She also offers a little bit of uh, compliment to him because she says, hey, you know, you acknowledged a peasant's strength and kept fighting even as you got dirty. So right now, you're more beautiful than I've ever seen you. So, And Kirsch finally concludes in his own mind, like, yeah, it was actually quite beautiful the way that they fought. But that finally brings us to the second battle of round two, E-Team versus G-Team, which is going to be Fenrir taking on his brother. Oh, that's who that is. I could. I was like seeing her. I was like, who the fuck is on the other team? Like, I was like, okay, well, that team has uh, Fuego Leon, and it's not Fuego Leon. It's Fuego Leon's brother. Well, yeah, yeah that's that. Look, he, he doesn't have a name. Then he's just Fuego Leon, not the him though. <laughs> and I was like, who the fuck's the guy on the other team? I was like, is it Nozel? No, Nozel is the big stupid thing on his face, and he wouldn't need to do that because he's already a captain. I know seeks the like I was trying to remember what the fucking plot line was to this match. I like this chapter though. I like it's uh, you know the end of the fight I thought worked basically everything it tried to do. I, I think the only thing I really wish it had more of was I wish there had been some kind of interaction between Mimosa and uh, Kirsch actually in the match itself uh, because it feels like that was a storyline element that kind of got pushed to the side until the very end. But I, I really, you know, overall dug how it went. So, mm. thumbs up for me. I like, like I said, overall, I just uh, really don't like the reveal of Mimosa's plan. It's just very kind of just like, oh, and anyway, this is what happened to. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, let's move on to finish up with One Piece, Chapter 878, Commander Pedro of the Mink Guardians. Uh Color, color two-page spread. Um, yeah, Nami is wearing a the wettest T-shirt. So um, I, I noticed two things about this. The first, I was like, why would you even bother wearing a shirt at that point, Nami? First and foremost, seriously? you're so wet that like the shirt's so wet now, it provides no cover and modesty. Well dissolve off of you. <laughs> but at the same time, too, it's like it's also gonna just like stay wetter even after you dry, and it's just gonna be uncomfortable to wear. Like it just seems like a bad decision. But the second one I was like, did that cat just kill Brooke? 
Because there's just a cat that has conquered Brooke and is like happily eating no, watermelon eating off his, his chest. Let's well, eat Nami's, but like it's just that way Brooke is. It's like laid face back. I was like, oh my god, that cat killed Brooke. No, he's disabled by its cuteness, Chris. That is probably what happened. But I just, <laughs> I like think the first thought that came to my mind when I saw it was like, oh my god. Also, you can see Frankie in the background with, like, a net in one hand and a bucket in the other. So I'm trying to figure out if he has, A, just returned from fishing, B, is trying to convince the others to go fishing with him, or C, is trying to fish inside the building. He's buck catching. You can see a, a copper tubito inside. You'd say like the horn of a copper tubito. Oh, you're right. God, that's a tiny thing. Seek it. Seek it back, catching. Gotcha. All right. Uh, yeah, it's an interesting picture overall, certainly. <laughs> yeah. Also, I love the face that Zoro is making when he spits seeds at Sanji. <laughs> he, just, he just uses a cat to block them all, too. <laughs> this poor cat's like, why? An equally pissed off cat. Also, only one of the cats is wearing clothing. Hmm. Anyway. Last time, Pedro seemingly sacrificed himself to take out Papillon and allowed the Straw Hats to escape. We get a flashback to when he gave up the 50 years of his life to Big Mom in order to be allowed to continue on his journey with his friend. Um, and uh, as he was being escorted away, uh, he well, got a bit of a lecture from, or not a lecture, but uh, kind of mocking questions from Prospero. And uh, Prospero is like, oh, so you're 27 right now. That means you're technically actually like 77 because you just lost 50 years of your life. Eh. But uh, but then he also asks him, hey, so did you name did you name your crew the Knox Pirates because you pref- because it's the night? Because you know it's kind of a weird negative connotation to have your crew. And we get a flashback within a flashback. Of Pedro remembering when he was but a tiny lion, uh, jaguar, whatever he is, uh, wanting to go on a journey with Gold Roger, but uh, Roger saying, "Nah, you're you're on standby, kid. You know I don't have much time left, so listen up. Everyone has their moment to shine," and uh, left him behind. And apparently, Pedro never saw him again until he heard that Roger was dead, and. Uh, after remembering this, Pedro says, as they say, there's no night that doesn't end in a sunrise. To me, Knox is synonymous with the moment before the dawn. If I can lay the foundation for the dawning of the world that the men I look up to await, I'll be happy. I'm certain I have enough time for that. Well, that's cool. Yeah. You dead? <laughs> <laughs> it certainly seems that way from the initial thing here. Um, but, uh, I, I do like the, the way that all tied together thematically, particularly the no- notion of like everyone has their moment to shine, uh, sort of plays into some stuff that happens in this chapter itself. So of course, everyone is uh, reacting to the explosion and to Pedro's apparent death. We don't get confirmation that he is, uh, that he's dead, but it's looking worse and worse for him <laughs> as time goes by. I'll say that much. Um, Brooke and Chopper are freed from their candy coating, as is the Thousand Sunny in general. Uh, also, uh, ca- caused quite a bit of uh, 
of chaos because the ship immediately moves because it's freed from the candy coating, drops into the water. Big Mom seems to uh, also have been knocked over by the explosion, I think. Yeah, I think she was she was near the blast, caught a bit of it. Uh, so and also all of the Big Mom pirates are very distracted because seemingly you know one of the very important members of the family has just been killed. Of course, Carrot is the one who is reacting the hardest to, to this because you know she was the one who actually knew Pedro from a very young age. But Nami is trying to hold her back and say, like, hey, look, he sacrificed himself so that he could save our lives. We didn't have a chance to survive until this. So, you know, we can't waste that. And uh, Luffy actually is the one who follows this up because he immediately is like, hey, Nami, can we get away from here? And Nami's like, yes. And he says, all right, then let's sail. Because if we waste this moment, we throw away his sacrifice. It's a very mature sentiment from Luffy, honestly. You would think that in this kind of situation, that he would be the first one to want to go and punch somebody in the face. Or that uh, he'd be the one who'd say he's not dead or something like that, that he'd be one of the people saying, like, oh, maybe he's still around or something. But I I think this is sort of telling what Ace's death has kind of left in him, the notion that people do die. And also just an indication that, you know, when it comes down to it, Luffy is capable of being a really good leader, a good captain, so... Um, Nami immediately starts directing, uh, traffic, trying to get the ship ready for the Kune burst. And, uh, I was like, Hey, Chopper, bro, can, can, can you like, you know, help us get this ready? And then Chopper is like, what's going on? <laughs> so Jinbei is like, Hey, tell me what to do and I'll do it. So, uh, everyone's racing around. Uh, Katakuri is still on the ship. And so he's like, you guys don't have time to get emotional right now. Carrot, of course, is really pissed off and goes to confront him. And, uh, you know, she's shouting out, get out of here, big mom pirates. And she lunges towards Katakuri, summoning lightning in her paws. And she has a flashback to uh, when she was, I think, very young. It's kind of hard to tell. She she looks very young here. She looks like a kid. There was there was an earlier flashback as well uh, shot or maybe it's later in this chapter where they note like, why are you? You know, trainer, she's not going to be good enough to do that or whatever. And, well, Pedro actually specifically says, like, hey, she's not meant for the sword. And someone else is just like, she's going to be a, she'll be a swordsman. Yeah, just, you know, just you mark my words. And seemingly they had a later conversation where Pedro said, hey, it doesn't matter how you do it, but you should train yourself into a mighty warrior and prepare. Everyone has their moment. And <laughs> it's, God. So after that whole thing with you know, Roger saying, like, everyone has their moment, Pedro, and then Kara remembering, everyone has their moment, Carrot. She goes to confront Katakuri, and he lifts up his leg and steps on her and just walks right past her. Just completely disregarding her attempt to confront him. Well, I so love this that. isn't her moment yet. Yeah, well, that's <laughs> what I love, because obviously Oda brought this up, and... This is one of those elements he's he's almost always delivered on. You know, he noted everyone has their moment to shine. She just gets fucking clown shoe knocked out here. So she's going to have some moment to shine later on. Um, 
you know, whether that means she stays around with the crew or even if it's just later on this arc, she finds a way to just do something big for everybody. I do like the idea of saying like, oh, everyone has a moment to shine. And you think it's maybe this moment right here where she's going to get revenge for Pedro. And it's like, no, nope. this wasn't her moment to shine. This guy is way too strong for her. Yeah, he's, <laughs> yeah, he's talking about like, hey, he sacrificed his life to help you guys get away from these guys. Not so you could, you know, get angry and jump at him. Mm-hmm. So Katakuri just, you know, completely disables her immediately and then says, you're not going to leave while I'm here. So Luffy says, look, we're leaving. I'm the captain of this ship. And Katakuri's like, that's only if you can get rid of me. So immediately uh, Luffy uses his elephant gun, punches at Katakuri, which doesn't really do much because he's able to you know, use his weird candy powers to block it. But then Luffy closes his hand, his still giant hand, and he grabs Katakuri. And Katakuri's like, ah, so that's what you're doing. Yeah, that will actually work. <laughs> I love the matter-of-factness of the way that he predicts things at times. Yeah, I'm fucked. <laughs> I, I do like it. It's tough to, like, function characters who can see the future because it's always like a level of like why don't they stop that from happening like i know a lot of people made jokes about like so katakuri like kind of foresaw that shit would get go bad during the wedding just didn't stop it before it happened it's like yeah i mean you gotta gotta work around it a little bit to a certain extent or just be like well the future's a little cloudy but like here where he's like i've been grabbed ah that's what you're gonna do interesting and luffy's just like yeah you can see it but you can't stop it from happening and it's like that notion of how he acknowledges it, like, ah, clever girl. Yeah. So, um, Jinbei apparently has gotten everything ready. The Big Mom pirates are launching living cannonballs at them. That shit's terrifying. Like, <laughs> <laughs> the one that's like, let me off! Like, oh, sad cannonball. <laughs> well, yeah, apparently it has one that doesn't like flying in it. <laughs> Big Mom is about to still get onto the ship, still crying about wedding cake. She's latched onto the deck. They spot on the shore, they see a, sh- a shadowy figure coming out of the smoke, and for a second, Nami's like, hey, is that Paige? Oh, it's Bros, bro. <laughs> um, who looks like he's had an arm blown off, so... Yeah. Ow. Um, so, uh, let's see here, that's that. Obviously, that still it looks like the situation is going to be getting worse and worse the longer they stick around. So, Luffy says, "Nami, let go of me." Oh no, that's not that's not. He, he shouts out to Nami, and then it cuts over to him, and he's reached through the mirror on the Thousand Sunny and has grabbed Brulee by the throat with his free hand while still holding on to Kakuru with the other. And he said, "And he says, look, Jimbe, Brook, Chopper, Carrot, I will be back.'" hold things down without me. And they launch the coup de burst, blast off into the sky uh, to get away. And they, you know, the big mom pirates can only say like, yeah, the enemy, sh- the enemy ship has escaped by air. And when they look back over to Luffy again, he's gone. He's disappeared along with Katakuri into the mirror world stands off against Katakuri inside of inside of the parallel world, smashes the mirror that they came in through so that they can have a proper fight. And that's the end of the chapter. So 
What do you think, Chris? <laughs> I mean, I'm super pumped at the notion of seeing Katakuri and Luffy fight. That seems like yeah. it's going to be pretty dope. Um, I was, I was thinking like maybe like we don't see any of the generals getting like another fight. You know, maybe they hold off this for, you know, the time when Luffy finally squares off against the, you know, the big mom pirates for real. Um, but I, I'm pretty pumped for it. I think Katakuri has been one of the most surprising characters of this arc. Um, he's really like just endeared himself more and more as time goes on. And I'm um, kind of cool to see that. And I, I do like Luffy's plan. I like that he makes that kind of cool sacrifice, throws them both in the mirror and then smashes it behind him so that, you know, he doesn't have to worry about Katakuri escape or anything. They can just fight. Um, pretty dope for that. And I, I love the, the, you know, the notion of, uh, Carrot just getting that angry going after Katakuri, thinking it's her moment, getting, you know, smashed down. It's, you know, as we as readers are now kind of sitting there like, all right, so when is her, her new dawn, you know, or whatnot? I'm, I'm finding myself more and more dear to Carrot and interested in where she goes from here. It's also going to be interesting to see how, uh, Luffy gets back to the crew from this point. There are obviously a whole bunch of different ways that it could go down because there are any number of mirrors that would let out into some part of the island. He still has, uh, allies kind of uh that might be nearby well you know sanji's so, still on sanji's the island still around they've so. got to make that cake so presume hey maybe they'll leave together that's yeah that's what i have to assume at this point so uh but yeah i, I was not expecting that he would just have a straight up 101 fight to, to this point and we haven't gotten one since the doflamingo one so uh yeah let's see absolutely that's uh, going to do it for a weekly manga recap. As said at the top of the episode, we will be back with Prince of Tennis next week. For the time being, let's uh, talk about our favorites of this week. Uh, favorite series in MVP. This is a tough one. There's a lot of really mm. good chapters this week. None that were like mind-blowingly good, but uh, if I go with the chapter, I think I, I felt... Like, I felt the best after reading, or just, like, really enjoyed. I, I'm probably very contrary to what people th- would say. Uh, we Never Learn, I think, is my chapter of the week. Hmm. I think I really enjoyed that one, and followed very closely by Black Clover. Uh, but We Never Learn, I think I just really enjoyed the way that all came together. I like that new character, the way, you know, it's tropey the way they end the chapter, but I just like getting a character, like, that's new and just doesn't feel like it's too fetishy or kinky or anything like that. It's not like the normal way of doing a harem where it's like, let's introduce this trope or something like that. You know, it just feels like they actually put a real character in. Uh, I'm going to go with Astra uh, just because of the very unexpected running away from a wormhole part of the chapter. Uh, and also because I'm very excited to see if they're actually going to finally resolve this uh mystery saboteur uh, angle and uh we'll see i guess for mvp i've i thought about a couple of different ones i thought about giving it to magma just because he's such an unrepentant douchebag uh i thought about uh doing it for uh kinro yep. uh because he just had that really cool moment where he's like hey you know let's let's get serious here uh, and he just has that nice little badass line um, but I, I'm going to go with Luffy okay. because that, uh, display of leadership, the, the, uh, just the cool, like, Hey, 
I'm the captain. I say we're leaving. We're going to do this. We're not going to have Pedro's sacrifice being be in vain was an unexpectedly mature and really cool moment for him. And also just him like, hey, I'm going to fight you so that my friends can get away. Awesome. So. Yeah, Luffy's great. Kinro, Zerks uh, was another one that I think had a really good chapter. Uh, but for that same reason, I'm going to give it to Asami. I just, I was really surprised by that kind of character. Mm. Um, I just, I really appreciate this series putting in a character who feels like a real person and not just a, a fetish into a harem manga. Like it's, you know, even though she ends in the maid cafe, you're like, I could, you know, see a real person like this in a situation where they're like, ah, fuck, you caught me at my job at like, the Ren Fair or something like that. Like, look, I just do this on the side. I need to make money. Look, it's fucking tough out there. But this character wouldn't work if she didn't have that realistic grounding of, like, she's a person who realized her mistakes as a, a young student and is trying to grow better from that. And she could end up being awful from here on in. Who knows? Could very well. <laughs> but in this chapter, I just really appreciate the way she was executed. So. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll see how how it goes. Uh, and, uh, yeah, guys, be sure to join us next week because that's going to be a big one. All right. Thank you, everybody, for joining us here on Weekly Manga Recap. We record the show on smashcast.tv slash T and twitch.tv slash T. normally Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Sometimes we need to change up the time and the place, so to stay updated, you should follow us on social media, Twitter, at WMR Podcast is the official account for the podcast. Your hosts are at Rolo T and at Y Ruler of Time if you want to follow us individually as well. You can also check out our past episodes on weekly manga recap.podbean.com as well as on our YouTube channel and on iTunes. If you check us out on YouTube and iTunes, be sure to do all the usual like, rate, comment, subscribe, all that good stuff, particularly with iTunes, because if you do that, you can help us to beat the woodworkers and dominate the hobby section. We need if you want to send us if you want to send us feedback, ask questions for our Q&A episodes or suggest future manga for us to read. Remember, Halloween month is coming up, so now is the time to send in those horror suggestions that you might have been sitting on. Now is the time to do that. Send that stuff to weeklymagarecap at yahoo.com. Special thanks go out to our Patreon supporters. You guys allow us to create all sorts of bonus content for you guys to enjoy. We just recorded the Q&A episode earlier this week. And, of course, we recorded our Death Note review, Death Note Netflix movie review, at the very beginning of the month. You can still get that. And, uh, of course, we are going to be having some more commentary coming out soon as well. All that stuff is made possible by you guys. Thank you so much. Yes. Uh, special thanks, by the way. I think I may have missed uh, a couple weeks of this, so let me uh, do just a couple here to catch up. So, Aline Cora Jr., Mitchell Henkelman, Aeon, Cedar Rowe, and Matthew Anderson – uh, thank you very much, you guys. It is greatly appreciated. A fist bump for you awesome people. Uh, you guys uh, and your support is, is what can truly help us go here and keep doing this and, and for, in many cases, uh, eat <laughs> at some points. <laughs> oh, how depressing. All right. And finally, special thanks to uh, the guys that help us make the podcast what it is. Steve Mann, our talk artist, Infamous Planet. You can check out Steve Mann's art in a whole ton of different places. If you check out his Patreon, he's got all of the tile cards that he's made for us on there. And also some rude images if you are okay for NSFW stuff. And uh, that's going to do it. So next week, the world ends. Okay. <laughs> you know, there was a theory that the world was going to end soon. And I had to assume that the world was going to be like, no, 
I'm going to persist through this. I'm not missing this Prince of Tennis shit. I've taken notes for this, Chris. <laughs> oh, please tell me. Like, go in super tired, too. I want this to be like Future Diary again. No, where you're just no, like, no, no. Number 16. For this. I don't actually have anything for this one. Number 17. <laughs> wait, wait. I just repeat myself. Wait, that's actually a good thing. Hang on. <laughs> What number were we on? I didn't number these. <laughs> number 17. Number blue. <laughs> it just starts devolving. <laughs> Bullet point. All right, guys. That's going to do it. Bye.